Is this episode five? I think this is technically episode five. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hey, welcome. Welcome back. Welcome I'm John. Back. I'm Matt. And this is the... We still don't have a name yet, but we'll come up with an intro before we release these and come up with a name. So, uh, this is our fifth episode. Do you want to go over the ones that we did before briefly? Or do you think we need to do that? The other episode, no. I mean, we're going to get to the point where it's four hours. No, I think, <laughs> I think we should do every, like yeah, we should do a recap of every single episode we've done up yeah. to the new one that we're doing every time. So, yeah, last week we did, let's do this. Last, last week, week we did Lethal perfect. Weapon, um, Rush Hour, and 48 Hours. So it's Buddy Cop movies. This week we are doing Coen Brothers movies, but these are unique Coen Brothers movies. And they are that... They are the character study, or at least the Paramount character study Coen yeah. Brothers movies, according to us. You could throw in basically any of their, any of their movies because of they're course. all character studies. But, but these are the most specifically char- character mm-hmm. study films, where the other ones have a lot more going on in terms yes. of plot. I, w- I would and, agree with that. And, and genre, specifically. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, The Man Who Wasn't There, you could say that's more of a noir, mm-hmm. even though it's also a character study. But... Mm-hmm. And then you have Fargo's, like, a crime film. Right. Uh, thriller, mystery. Kind of western, where, where, but in Minnesota. Yeah, where these do fit some of those elements, but again, this one is, like, real tight on the individual specific characters that it follows. Yes, yeah. yeah. We're almost, uh, which are... Yeah, so the movies are Inside Lewin Davis... Uh, a serious man and Barton Fink. Fink. That's yep. right. Yeah. Um, so with that, uh, what's our first kind of topic? Why we pick the movies, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, did we kind of already start going? Uh, right a now? little bit. Like they're great because I mean, okay, dude. If you could like, I feel like all the other movies we just mentioned, like the Coen Brothers movies specifically, like you, you could kind of give like a rough plot of all of the other movies. Yeah. I think. I think with these, if I told you to give me, like, a brief plot of any of these, maybe with the exception of Barton Fink, but still, there's just so much going on that, like... Well, you know, a couple of them have a pretty simple synopsis, I guess, if you wanted to lay it out in that sure. way, but they're about so much more than that. Yes, exactly. Like, a serious man, if I had to sum that movie up, I'd be like, a bunch of horrible shit happens to a guy, in, a Jewish guy in the 60s, yeah. like, Barton that, Fink. That's the most loose uh, plot synopsis yeah. that you could give I, sure. I think out of the three mm-hmm. yeah I mean the other two Lewin is Lewin is probably the second I think Barton Fink is the clearest in terms of like yeah the character has to has to do this thing by this time or else yeah and by virtue of that Lewin Davis and Barton Fink also have more kind of uh succinct character arcs yes. I would say yeah and what I guess we can get into that a little bit later as yeah. to why I, I hadn't ever considered that part of it, but yeah, yeah we'll talk about it. If we remember, <laughs> yeah, should put a pin in that. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Uh, anyhow, can we get a two-minute warning, by the way, whenever? So char- character arcs, we'll put a pin in that. But yeah, either way, okay. So yeah, we picked these because they're the character study movies. They're all dark comedies. Some of them a little bit funnier than others, but like these are. Um, I don't know. I think they're like almost the most contained, even though they don't have genre. It's like because. You're just following one character. Like, none of these movies have scenes that don't have these characters in them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so... For the most part, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. maybe, like, a couple sequences don't involve directly, like, Larry Serious Gopnik. man, yeah, Gopnik isn't in every mm-hmm. sequence, but he's directly connected it's to every sequence his question. Movie. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, so we're going to go through uh, these, not chronologically in the time they were made, but chronologically in the time they're set. So we're going to start with Barton Fink, 
We're going to... Barton Fink is 1941 in its setting. Yep. Uh, Inside Lewin Davis, 1961. It's going to be the second one. And then... We think late 60s for... Uh, a Serious Man. They never... Yeah. It's never on the screen what year it is, which right. they do in the other two movies tell what year it is. Mm -hmm. And this one, just based on kind of when some of the music came out that they were listening to in yes. the film, we clean that it's late 60s. Right. We think maybe 69. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. It feels like that with like Jefferson Airplane and like there's like a Jimi Hendrix song that is mm -hmm. I think from like the late 60s to One of the Santana albums is not mm -hmm. featured but discussed. In yeah, the yeah, yeah. It's a, a subplot. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. Yeah. Um, so, uh, do you want to talk about what like your first interaction with these movies is? Yeah. Was? Yeah. So, okay. Barton Fink. Actually, do you want to at the top of. Each movie, do you want to talk about that and then use that to dive into the movie? Sure, that's great. Yeah, okay, cool. we can do that. So, do you want to just go off with Barton Fink, Fink and then we can remember to do that with the other two as we enter those other two movies? Yeah, yeah, that sounds yeah, that's good. fine. Yeah, so Barton Fink was like one of the most formative movies for me ever. Like, I think it's one of the movies for the first that I ever watched for the first time. I was probably sixteen. Um, what year was it? Um, uh, two thousand. Uh, nine? nine? Yeah, 2009. It was yeah. when it came out, I remember. Um, or, sorry, I'm After thinking it, it was when a <laughs> around when A Serious Man came out yeah, okay. when I saw it. Maybe a little bit earlier, even. Anyway, I was mm -hmm. definitely in my mid-teens. Like, mid-teens when you started getting into film, too. Yeah, and, well, more this, serious. This movie was, like, one of the ones yeah. that I... I think, like, I had seen... You know, it was probably, like, 2007, 2008, because I had seen the There Will Be Blood trailer, and I was like, whoa, like... What oh, the hell are okay, films, so, you know? And then and I, then you were introduced to the Coens, too. Yes, exactly, yeah. right around that time. And this really, I think this might have been the first Coen movie I, I ever watched where I was like, I got what Coen Brothers movies were. And it was, a, it was a big one to start with, for sure, because it's one of the most substantial, I think. In I mean, these three movies are all very, very, very substantial, but mm -hmm. Barton Fink is just, I mean, not only is the form so directly like influential in terms of like the way you want to make the movie but make movies or write movies but, I was like, going to say influential to you as a writer exactly. and director like yeah just the fact that you can like use murder elements the movie's about like, a writer yes right and then yeah so it's on a form level but also on a content level yeah even though it clearly is just like showing how awful Hollywood can be and how punishing it can be for yeah. like creatives it was still just like Watching a writer go through writer's block, and you know, mm -hmm. I don't want to get too to use Jack Lip, Jack Lipnick's language too fruity about my analysis, but like yeah. that side of like, whoa, you can be poetic, but also attach that poetry to like real stakes in a movie. It just it had every element pretty mm -hmm. much. So yeah, Barton Fink. I mean, that plus I think this movie has pound for pound some of the best dialogue scenes I've ever okay I've ever seen on the screen. Like I think. Dialogue from the stance of the writing is perfect, the setting is perfect, and the two characters are perfect with John Goodman and, yeah. and Totoro in this. From yeah. uh, from my perspective, yeah. my first interaction with this movie was really uh, it was seeing this cover, this mm -hmm. uh, like almost well that's the film poster, but yeah. his face on the um, the VHS cover yeah. in like the mid to late nineties, uh, mm -hmm. back when we would go to video scene in Delaware, yeah. go to the video store, and you would kind of pick the movies that you didn't know yeah. based on what the the box art looked like, mm -hmm. right? So uh, my first interaction with this, I remember specifically always thinking, what is this movie, Barton Fink? Yes. I'd read the back, I'd be like, this looks kind of interesting. I wasn't as familiar with the Coens and the yeah. late 90s as I became I mean 
you know, I grew up with Raising Arizona, but I didn't really equate that to being a Cohen film. I just knew of the movie. Yeah, and um, at the time, really, it was probably like Fargo and mm-hmm. Raising Arizona. Yeah, they're two like big, big yeah. movies, right? Oh yeah. Was there anything else? Wait, Fargo and Raising Arizona? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, this was after Lebowski, too, because Lebowski was, what, 96? 98. 98, so, yeah. no, yeah, probably around, or maybe prior to the time that Lebowski came out. Right. Um, anyway, so that was kind of my first interaction with just the knowledge of this movie existing. Yeah. And yeah. this is also me at about 16 years old. I was, right. Well, 14, hmm. you know, around that age. Yeah, maybe. Mid, mid-teens, uh, when I started getting into film. But I never pulled it off the shelf and rented it. Ever, yes. Right? Yeah. And um, I tried to watch it years ago mm-hmm. and kind of just like watched it passively. And this is not a movie that you can watch passively. Not There's a really. lot going on with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I finally, for the first time ever, watched this movie yesterday. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah that's tough, So it's, it's man. fresh in my mind. And yeah. this is, uh, I guess we can talk about this now. And we'll go into similarities in other ways later. Yeah. But all three of these movies are very rewatchable. And they're rewatchable for a reason. It's because they require they a rewatch, it. Yeah. and probably more than one. I mean, I'm I'm seeing that with I've seen a serious man. I mean, I bought that on iTunes when it came out in 2009. Yeah, and I've watched it for years. Yeah, a bunch of times. And now looking at things a little more analytically for the show, right? It's a. It's just. It goes to like how how Barton Fink is. I think I'm going to be watching this movie for the next decade, oh, trying to figure out what it's about. Absolutely. Or, or I mean, just like the, how I feel about it, and, those, and that's going to evolve with every watch. Right. You'll yeah. and you'll project whatever's going. On. And that's what's so, so great about yeah. these. There's just so much gold in the hills because, yeah. like, when Woody Allen saw 2001: A Space Odyssey for the first time, he said that like he watched it and he was just like, "All right, this sucks." Like he really didn't like it mm-hmm. at all. He watched it a second time. Like I felt that way later. about There Will Be Blood. Oh my yeah, gosh, like, dude, every, all saw, of right? these movies that, that make you ask more questions mm-hmm. than answers they give, it's like, that's when you know you found something special. So that's my first interaction with this movie specifically. Yeah. Yeah. But asking questions in a good way, obviously. But but anyway, yeah, I, I agree, man. It's like these movies, you just know. And, and we've also gotten to the point of maturity where we kind of know, like, all right, this is one that I know that if I watch it again, it's going to... It's going to give me something different, right? Yeah, and you know that with some movies, and I mean, every movie's got its shelf life in terms of rewatchability. Yeah. I mean, I hit my limit with tons of movies. Right. Um, but but I, I just, it's kind of cool seeing this for the first time, and it's such a great film that I'm yes. just scratching the surface of what's what I'm going to experience with this movie for years right. to come. And it's so, yeah. like, it's so but I'm already not... in that realm with the other movies. Yes, you've with already the other two reached movies. that part yeah, exactly. of the evolution exactly. of your experience. Yeah. With, and, but exactly. that's what's so cool about these two is like there's some movies that demand a rewatch that they demand a rewatch because of the big twist, you know, The Sixth Sense, which I like as a movie. Mm-hmm. Fight Club, same thing. I also like as a movie. And, but I think you can basically get everything out of Fight Club on the first watching, the first viewing. And then, of course, I, I almost, you go back and you appreciate it more because of the twist. But you don't think yeah. it was just, like, rewatchable. No, I almost disliked the movie more the second time. Fight Club. Right. The second time I saw it because I didn't have that fresh perspective. Exactly. Now, that being said, we're going to talk about endings later. Mm-hmm. But I will really quickly say that this does have a twist. Yeah, 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 sure. Barton Fink has a twist at the end, for sure. It is a couple of twists slash plot turns i think i would say okay i i wrote Shyamalan twist as i was making notes okay this is again first first view well hopefully i can expound upon it okay when we talk about endings yeah yeah i'd say there's a pretty pretty big twist at the end all right cool not that it wasn't foreshadowed there's a lot that kind of is laid out 
to yes make you ready for what that twist is. But That's fair. I'd say there's a twist. Okay, so I just, I mean, my notes are, like, in no particular order. Like, we set up this podcast before. We're not really going to get synopses. Just watch these movies if you haven't seen them. And if, if yeah. you don't watch them and you listen to this, that's fine, too. I don't really care. <laughs> but watch them. Yeah, they're... I don't care what you do, uh, um, but you should watch <laughs> but, them. Yeah. I would. Because they're damn near perfect. They're, they're not damn near perfect. They are perfect movies, in my opinion. So on, and, on, In a lot of aspects. Yeah. I mean, I guess when you say perfect, that's all encompassing, but... It is. Yeah. So, with me... So, first thing I wrote, because I feel like this is one of those... Um, the movie clearly has a lot of little references to the Bible, and, you know, like, he's... Barton's on the sixth floor of, of the hotel, all that stuff. I've heard a million times that the hotel Earl where he's staying is hell. hell. Yeah, what do you think That's the, that? as After a first watch, I think it was very obvious yes. to me that it was hell. Sure. Now, so, going into this movie and kind of... Yeah. All right, so yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, fuck! I kind of lost my train of thought. No, no, no. Going into this movie, you thought like, okay, you watched it. Oh. And you were like, wow. Okay, this so seems like it's probably hell. Something. You no, know, from a first watch, looking at uh, the way the hotel is introduced, yeah. lets you know that the hotel is an entity mm-hmm. unto itself. Almost kind of like uh, what's the hotel in the shine? The shine. The overlook. The overlook. Yeah. It has an overlook type of vibe, and yes. also. When he signs into the hotel for the first time, yeah. well, when he signs into the hotel, yeah. and the shot that they show from above of the uh, sign-in it's book the turning. Yeah, it's like an overhead. Overhead with a zoom in and the book turning, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the camera might also kind of follow a little bit of an angle. It might. Not. I don't recall. Either way, but... it reminded me of Jumanji, of all things. Ah. And the way that they, well, the mystical, kind of the mysticism surrounding... Yeah. The game, the board yes, game. Yes. And that's, I was like, holy shit. And I don't know if they, I mean, Jumanji came out around the same time. I don't know if they were influenced by that shot. I don't mm-hmm. know if there were other shots in other films before that. But mm-hmm. it, that's immediately where my mind went. Yeah. And I knew as soon as he entered the hotel, like Chet's kind of a goofy guy, but sure. then they go into this thing where you're like, there's something magical it's, going on with this. Yeah. Magical is not a good way to put it, but my first impression was that is there was something magical the movie, going on with the hotel. Yeah, the movie is clearly not just in Barton's head. I actually... No. Well, sorry. I, from is. his point of view, I mean. Some of it, yes, you can make the argument that it's in his mm. head, literally. I mean, there are like a billion references to heads and losing them in this movie. Um, but, but yes, that... Okay, there's that shot. And also, like, when he goes to L.A., um, even just it, it dissolves into the shot of the... Uh, which is one of the last shots of the movie. Um, that massive rock on the beach and the water yeah. splashing mm-hmm. up against it. Which I think coming back. Yes, and I think that actually adds... I Just, again, to, to build on your case for that, um, just something to the atmosphere of, like, mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, but there's something that I remember always... Just That's drawing so him unsettling in. It's almost like he's, pr- like, destined to go there. Yes, yeah, yeah, it feels like it's been waiting for him. Mm-hmm. I think that's what that shot feels like to me and then I agree I mean even Steve Buscemi coming up from underground I mean that's part of the argument that I've always what about the bell ring and it It lasts for forever yeah Mm -hmm. until Buscemi I think that's just a Cohen-y like ooh it's gonna be unsettling well also to that point I mean I don't know how much we're gonna talk about sound but the sound in this one the sound design is so good Mm -hmm. excuse me it goes from like real quiet, real relaxed, nothing going on to like loud banks, like yeah. just or even like character noises or even the sound of the mosquito. Yes, it goes from really quiet to a very important noise happening. Yes, and a lot of it kind of punches you in the face. Mm-hmm. Even the mosquito does. I mean, you know that he's in the room, and that's the focus invading. Yes, yeah, exactly. Area. Yeah, um, um, and I'm then agreeing. kind of 
for me, I guess the last point on the hotel, not a last point, but another thing mm-hmm. that I noticed as the hotel was introed and you're like, this is creepy. You almost think it turns into like a, you're like, is this a ghost movie? Because yes. I, I, okay, so I don't like to go into movies knowing anything. I didn't watch a trailer. I didn't read a synopsis. I knew absolutely nothing going into this movie mm-hmm. other than watching it years ago. I mean, I don't remember. I, like I said, I read the back of the jacket of the, the video cover, but yeah, I don't remember that. That was such a long time ago. And then, like I said, years ago, I did try to watch the movie and kind of passively watched it. And I remember that something going on with a murder mystery in a hotel, but yeah. I kind of forgot about it entirely. Yeah. Um, and going into it, watching it this time, I kind of didn't have any idea what to expect. I just was completely blank on the movie as, yeah. as far as like an ex- expectation. Yes. And when the wallpaper started peeling off of the... Um, to equate it to another movie, it almost kind of reminded me of a scene that might happen in Pan's Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. Like, before you start to realize the whole fairy tale thing is going on, yeah. where you're like, this is the real world, and now there's something else weird going on here. Right. And when the wallpaper starts to peel off, you kind of, at first, think that it's like, there's something creepy going on with the hotel, because yeah. you already got that vibe. Right. But then it's kind of explained away when things become like realistic and practical because it's the middle of summer. There's no air conditioning in there. Right. They're in Los Angeles, and it's an old hotel, and wallpaper is just kind of falling off the wall. So that's, you kind of it brings you back to reality, and, and you're movie, like, maybe this movie isn't that's why this, mystical. That's why this you know? movie's so great. Is it balances? It doesn't. And I know Pan's Labyrinth is a very different movie, but mm. it a movie like this, if it did that, would be jumping the shark. You know what I mean? Like for me, if it tried to. It, it would just be a different movie. But that, it seemed like it was going that. in that direction in certain scenes. Again, this is a, a fresh watch. I've no, yeah. I have had no context. Mm-hmm. These are first opinions. This isn't even a thought that I had like after I continued to watch the movie. Yeah. I'm thinking back to like the very first time. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I agree with yeah. that. I mean, there, uh, I mean, uh, I was going to say Walter. I was thinking Moldowski. Even uh, John so Goodman's time. character. Yeah, like Goodman's character, you know, lighting the place on fire and going into his room. Mm-hmm. It's like clearly... That surreal element, those little surreal surreal elements of the peeling of the wall or like well, Chet coming up from underground, or the yeah. utter isolation. It there are four, five people you see in the hotel the whole movie. Oh yeah, it's There's like Eddie Arcadian from the last. You Dragon. recognize that? Yes. I, I do. It's I noticed a, that at the end. So I don't the, know the actor's name. It's the two detectives. Yeah, they're really good in that. They too. are great. Yeah. Uh, which I was going to bring. I was going to quiz you on that and see if you noticed it. I was wrong. It's six because there's the elevator operator also. So it's yeah, Buscemi, yeah, Barton, uh, Charlie Meadows, the two detectives, and the elevator operator. So, but other than that, but the movie does a great job. Of there's not one other person in the hotel. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's yeah. very important. <laughs> Judy Davis. Yeah, the, yeah. Right. The, pretty much the only, not the only female in the entire movie. No, there's the. Uh, He's dancing with somebody at, toward the end. But yeah, and there's the uh, man and woman at the very beginning that are talking about the mm, review of this play. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but uh, but the movie. She's the prominent again character. to add to the kind of supernatural vibe of it. Like it shows a very empty hotel, and obviously you only see a few characters there. But those like. Uh, tracking shots um, in those tracking shots you see all the shoes outside the rooms so you know there are people in those rooms but I think that adds outside of every room outside of every room so it adds to the uneasiness of knowing it is a fully you know it looks like it's at fully functioning hotel exactly but Barton is you know feels that isolated to where like what about these... the um couple having sex in the other room mm-hmm. he and goodman hear them and they even bring bring it up so there's yes. that's another 
I don't know how that plays into or how it matters. Uh, I, I'm sure it matters because everything matters yeah, in, their, in I, their writing. But. I think it plays into Charlie. I mean, Charlie brings up Goodman. I know you know this. Um, <clears throat> I forgot, he, but it's okay. Well, he brings up, you know, he brings up like having a billion opportunities as a um, as a door to door as a door to door yeah insurance a traveling guy. insurance yeah company. he has like the tie with the you know the pinup girl yeah. um, and then Barton clearly you know when Barton is asked by Charlie like do you have a sweetheart Barton cl- I mean Barton clearly is like a sexually like frustrated slash yeah. you know what I mean like so I think it's it's to play to their um, but sexuality is questioned like a, a yeah. few times in the movie right, too yeah. because he's like. Uh, because he's fruity. <laughs> it's well, fruity. he's, he's like, an intellectual he's type. He's a writer. And, yeah, exactly. yeah, and he's Jewish, which, you know, a lot of characters in the movie remind him. You know, it was the 40s, so even the detectives mention the place not being restricted. So, like, I think well, that, that, comes that is play part in of making a, him a serious man, which, too. Yes, totally. It yeah. does. Um, but yeah, he's just different. Does... So people automatically, I guess at that time, were like, oh, you're different? You're gay. Exactly. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah like, or, like, <laughs> all the more reason that you might be queer. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> so... But anyway, no, I think the movie does a great job of, of balancing the, the supernatural, literally, and, and kind of like peppering that stuff up in, up it, up, literally peppering <laughs> up, that up stuff up until the end of the movie when it finally, the surreal does actually meet face to face with the, the, the real. And we can talk about that when we talk about endings, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm just going to say now, and on a, as, from a first mm. Time viewer, man, that I gotta watch that movie again. It, yeah. you know, I kind of got what was going on, but I didn't get why they why they were doing it. Yes, I'll just say that. Yes, yeah, it gets, and I think I need to figure out why they were doing it, and I have no idea after a first watch. Have you seen the movie adaptation? No, it reminded me a little bit of the Adrian made me watch it. It's great. You didn't make me, but suggested it. And we watched it. And, uh, <laughs> she made you watch it. But it's similar to where, like, it has these small, like, Barton Fink does have the murder mystery element, you yeah. know, which of course comes into play later. But the fact that, and again, this is the Coens just being so good at using genres, that little jumping off point, and really using that as something that really just kind of keeps you interested in the movie. Of course, you know, they use it wisely in a way that plays with the plot and his relationship with John Goodman. But it, it adds some vinegar to it. Like, yeah. it judges it up. And the movie didn't require that. From a standpoint, sure. Right. Didn't require I think what really keeps it going is the dialogue and the humor. Oh, of course. Ed Barton's total, you know, his writer's block and that expectation slash ticking clock of that first meeting with Michael Lerner's yeah, character. Yeah, there is a ticking clock. Right. Uh, Lipnick? Lipnick, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that all gives it, like, a nice little function. But the murder in the middle, you know, it ups the stakes to where, yeah. you know... It, there's that perfect, just complete stress factory of a scene when uh, mm-hmm. when he goes to Lipnick's pool and like the murder has just happened. Charlie's leaving, so Barton knows he's gonna be all alone. Mm-hmm. He has nothing. Like he, it's the one of the lowest moments in the mo- movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, yeah, how does they, the guy even keep it together at that point? Especially yes. coming off of a murder scene, which he's implicated in. <clears throat> like like the girl dies in his bed and he right. wakes up and she's dead. You've seen that in other movies, but in this one, it's treated like. As a plot device to yeah. kind of, like you just said, it, it kind of creates a perfect storm for Barton because right. what's really important is his writing, and that's yes. what's going on. And then he's just he's got writer's block already, right? And then he a dead girl <laughs> ends up in his bed, and right. he just like yeah. 
So that's just so much of it. Just add, it piles on top of his stress as a writer. Exactly, which is and that's what the movie it's like playing second fiddle. To, yeah, like to even, the other even though in real life problem. a murder would be way more important than, than a guy writing a, a block writing a in this Wally movie. Beery wrestling yeah, he's, he's, picture. he's writing a, a wrestling movie. <laughs> All he has to do is like have a love intri- love interest and right. a little bit of intrigue and drama and a lot of action. Yeah, and uh, he's just such a. What's how would you describe him as a writer? Like oh in terms of gosh. he's a playwright. He's a yeah. he's a well to do or a well known and just coming off of a great success of well, a play which I don't remember the name of. But uh, Bear Ruined Choirs is the name of the play, and I'm, I'm glad you asked what I thought of him as a writer because yeah. I just I just want to talk about Barton as a character. Like I think one of the best character intros. It, it's not like oh, yeah. the moment you see him type of intro, but like one of the best like one of the most revealing character things I've ever seen in a movie is. Um, you know, it's early in the movie. Barton is meeting with the producer of his successful play for mm-hmm. dinner with those two, the two yuppies. Um, mm-hmm. They probably weren't called yuppies at the time, but anyway, they were like normal New York squares. Yeah, I guess. yeah. Um, I don't know what you. Yeah, in but, 1941 too. That's kind of weird. We don't know the. I have no idea what the landscape yeah. was. Like some kind of transcendental, or not transcendental. They'd be yuppies now. Transatlantic. Anyway, but yeah, clearly people who were of the higher class. And Barton, you know, he wants to be a spokesman for the common man the fishmonger is yes. the lead role in the his film his play yes right? exactly or it's um, about fishmongers i guess it's yeah so which i want to get into that this is i'm gonna i have a whole thing i'll, I'll tie a bow on it so sure. um anyway so barton he's meeting with those people and he is trying to be like he's trying not to connect with them and he's like you can tell he's reserved with them and he you know he even tries to be He's falsely being humble mm-hmm. when the producer is like, here's the review, you know, it's in the Herald, blah, 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 and Barton's like, oh, they'll be wrapping fish in it in the morning. So he's trying to seem really humble, but then yeah. he gets the call to meet with his agent. Mm-hmm. I noticed this too. Yeah, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. He gets the call to meet with his agent, and the agent is like, did you see what the Herald said? No, his agent's at the bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's at the same, he's at same a table. Place. Sure, so yeah. anyway, so ten, 20 seconds later, he's yeah. with his agent, and the agent is like, did you read the Herald? He's like, no, what did it say? So it's like clearly so he pretends, Barton... He, he, he cares about... About his image as he, a... Sorry, you go... No, He, he cares yeah. about who cares about his image. Exactly. So he doesn't give a shit that the, like, kind of, like, normal watchers, the normal viewers, he doesn't really care what their opinion is. He the cares common man. The Charlie Meadows. Which, which, well, I mean, they're not common. They're more, like we said, yuppies, right? Oh, okay, yeah, never mind. I was... Make your point, sorry. Well, I'm not getting into Charlie. I'm talking about specifically the scene you're talking about mm. where it's the intro to his character yeah. and the fact that he doesn't give a shit even though the the people at the table literally are raving about the uh, review that was written by his name is Caven. Mm-hmm. They're like, "Did you did you read Caven's review?" Yeah. And he's yeah. like, "No, I don't give a shit about that basically. They're going to be wrapping it with fish pa- fish paper, newspaper. They'll be wrapping it in fi- they'll be having fish in it in the morning." They'll be wrap Yeah, exactly. So he's completely dismissing what their opinion is of yes. his play because he's above kind of what their opinion is. Right. But then when he gets into a realm where he's with somebody who's in the industry with him, yes. that's when he... I, I think that's what you're saying. Yeah, like well, he, he gives a shit what he's about to say, but even to the extent of pretending that he didn't know what the review was, because he did, because the other exactly. people just told him. Exactly. And that's what was so funny about that, because he's like, no, tell me. Like, he cares... Right. He's so up his own... Thank you, babe. He's so up his own ass with his opinion, but also when he meets with the common man who he claims to represent, when he meets Charlie... Charlie Charlie's like, I could tell you some stories. And Barton is like, yes, you could tell me. And then he'll spout off about his own shit. Yeah. And he's so self-obsessed. Like, you know, when he's talking to... He's very... His muse... And I want to talk... We'll talk about muses more with Lewin Davis. But one of his big 
mm. uh, not even muses. One of his something that he's really interested in is the the life of the mind and like um, the struggle, the artist's struggle. Yeah. Um, you know, and when he's talking to W. P. Mayhew, Mayhew's I mean, he's an the, alcoholic, uh, Southern writer, the alcoholic. Mark Twainy kind of guy. Yeah. When he's talking to him and Mayhew's drinking. He's telling Mayhew, like, oh, I've never found writing to help my drinking. Because Mayhew says that, you know, drinking, drinking helps him. To help my writing? Or yeah. Say... Fink says, I never, I, I've never found drinking to help my writing. Okay. Where Mayhew shares the opposite opinion. But then when Charlie comes in, um, you know, he drinks. With Charlie, With yeah. Charlie, which is also too... Well, Charlie of... kind of brings him down to earth a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. It's and almost that's a good the point. We story. all have story. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is a beautiful, and that's what's so great about this movie. Like, there are little contradictions with Barton where yeah. he won't listen to Charlie, but there's enough of a connection with them to where when he, he's in trouble, he feels comfortable enough. Well, and going they, they to do Charlie. start where Barton is being completely pretentious, which is mm-hmm. what you're saying when he first meets with Charlie. Yeah. <clears throat> and just going to the fact that, like, they become. they they gain mutual respect and become friends. Yes, exactly. But Charlie also... Gosh, did, 30 oh, seconds. Okay. But Charlie... I'll make this point as quickly as possible. But Charlie, despite all that, you know, he ultimately picks Barton to, I guess, frame... I mean, I don't... What do you think Charlie's intentions are? Barton asks at the end, why me? I have a lot of questions about that, and we can end this segment on that. But we have to keep talking about Barton for a yeah, s- well, can we? Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, we're back. So, yeah, with Charlie, I think he is... It's like, what is he picking Barton for, I guess? I always took that as like... I don't know, I always took it like this, but now I take it as Barton asking, why did you let me live? You know, because he could have killed Barton, obviously. Like, why do you think... Like, do you think he's, like, this, uh... I have more questions and confusion when it comes okay. to this part of the story. Yeah, yeah, let's talk about it. Because, okay. kind of, I mean, that's the most okay, confusing so part. let's start with, before we get even to that. Okay, so we figured out that they are vibing now. They're, like, kind of friends, right? Mm-hmm. Just in their discussion, even before any real shit goes down in the hotel. Yeah, yeah. Right? So... There's another subplot going on where Barton gets involved with a woman who's married to another writer. They end up having an affair. She's the mistress of the other writer, technically. Which I think actually say adds the to the... You said Mary. She's the, okay. the mistress. She's the other She one. is. She's the side. Which I feel like adds something to yeah. the... Because it's not Barton. It does. It does. You know. But it's, it's another man's woman. Sure. He gets involved with her. Yes. They hook up in his hotel room. Hmm. He wakes up, she's dead. Barton has nobody to go to in town. He only has one friend, and that's Charlie. Now they're friends. They've already, like we said, they've established a friendship. Right. Or at least, at the very least, somebody who, who he trusts and is like, holy shit, this dead girl, I woke up. I woke up, and this dead woman is in my bed. Yeah. So. Charlie comes in. And immediately, when he sees the body, goes into the bathroom and has one of the most realistic vomit scenes I've ever heard. I mean, it, they don't show it, yeah. but I mean, he's he's throwing up. It's like right. it's like a drunk throwing. Yeah, it's like Bill Mayhew level. Exactly. It's it, it, that's another yeah. So he like literally like his reaction to it is utter surprise, shock, and disgust. Yeah. Yes. So, to where you were going with Barton trying to figure out why. 
Charlie's helping him. Mm-hmm. And then come to find out Charlie is the one that's a uh, chopping heads off. Yeah. But that's the thing. Her her head is Is her head severed yet? No. It not will yet. be, but it's not yeah. yet. Yeah. It's not yet. But anyway, you kind of get the idea that Charlie's kind of weird and may have had something to do with it. Yeah. But Charlie's reaction is like complete opposite. So what is that all about? That was the question that I had. It made is when we talk about things that don't make sense in movies, that didn't make sense to me the way he reacted. After he ends up throwing up and after his shock, then he's calm, cool, and collected. I think he's a psychopath. I think he is counting on the fact that Barton or sociopath, which whichever one it is that you don't feel anything but you can blend in or whatever. I don't know. I'm I not a doctor. He's been <laughs> he's been doing this clearly for long enough to where he has like detectives on his trail where he has a mm-hmm. he has a, a name for himself. Um, so I think uh, I think he, he convinces Barton and us that he is that he had nothing he has, to do with shot, it because I think he's counting on the fact that Barton is going to come to him and he when he gets that knock you know, I think he's probably practiced that shock. I mean, okay, so that the was The first planned. time you hear Charlie is he's either laughing really hard or crying really hard. He's when laughing the whole uncontrollably, right, he's uncontrollably laughing. to the point of almost crying. Like, he's laughing, but his right. laughter's so hard he's coming to tears. Yes, exactly. So I think Charlie is that in control of his emotions. He's kind of creating fake emotions for himself. Exactly. I mean, mm-hmm. the movie never comes out and says that, and maybe that's... I don't think he's like got a split personality, but, but clearly, it, to me, I can still read the movie as Charlie. But he's so manipulative to the point that he can on. change his body to even yes. convince you that he's not involved with a with a murder like that. Like yeah, gruesome, gruesome murder. Yeah, that's how I. She, feel she looks like it. she was like basically stabbed or hacked to death in mm-hmm. the bed or something like that. There's blood everywhere. There's yeah, blood everywhere. Exactly. You don't know how she was killed. Right. You don't know who killed her really? But right. But I mean, we can guess. It's clearly Charlie, exactly. and uh, but no, I, that to me doesn't feel inconsistent with his character. To that point, for John Goodman to be able to pull off that range of crazy emotions and have us guessing to that level, yes. it's interesting. We looked up before we started this. Uh, the guy that played Litnik mm-hmm. was actually nominated for an Academy Award yeah. for, for best, best supporting, supporting actor. actor. Yeah. Which is insane because John Goodman is so good in that role, right? And it's a bigger role, and it's and a it's a much bigger role than Litnick's role. Supporting, yeah, yeah, and it's it it just I mean it it fits the plot and it fits the character development with Barton. Yeah, I mean even his role in the end, he's got a monologue in the end. How was he not? Unless maybe he was considered for best actor for it, but he still is. But Barton is the lead. His range, and his range, or Totoro's the lead. His range is better than is. What am I trying to say here? Lipnick is, is a great range, character actor. Lipnick, Lipnick is, yeah, Michael Renner uh, is Michael a Lerner. great character actor, and he does show range in that role. Mm-hmm. He's always an asshole, but he's a I love you asshole, and then an I hate you asshole. Um, Did you notice he was in uh, Serious Man, Lerner? Uh-huh. From yeah, one, he, one quick he's scene? He's Solomon Schlutz. Yeah. Schlutz, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's funny. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Goodman, I agree. It's, it's surprising because, again, at the beginning of this podcast, I said, I mean, I think some of the best dialogue and just performance scenes I've ever seen of just like two people talking, all of the Totoro Goodman scenes in this movie are, to me, are like a blueprint for what a scene should have. Mm-hmm. So um, He's even no, good on camera shock. with uh, Totoro and Lebowski. Right. Where, where he literally <laughs> says no words to him. Goodman is a, <laughs> no, it's such an look, amazing actor. He literally never other. says any words no. to Jesus in the movie. No. Um, anyway, so yeah, I think... Goodman, though, I don't think he's the devil. I've heard theories that like he's the devil, or yeah, I don't How think he not? that. 
Um, because... Uh, what about the scene with the fire? I guess so. Maybe maybe he's like dis- yeah. I mean he's a deceiver. I don't really have arguments for why he's not. I also don't Do think, think Hotel he's also Earl like- is. I don't think Hotel Earl is hell though either. Do you think this I is just the that. seriousness that plays out in the mind of a, a genius writer? Yeah. Is, is that what we're seeing? Are we seeing the fantastical from a... Because the Coens will do that. They'll make you think a scene is real, right. but it's all in the character's head. Well, no, because I that's the other thing I wanted to get into with Barton. And I, I want to get back to Charlie because I don't know. Again, I just have more questions with Charlie. But okay, with so, Barton, with World Fest, with Barton, I don't think Barton is this amazing writer at all. I actually think he has a line in the movie where he zone. says... He has a line in the movie where he says... Um, Maybe I only had one good idea in me, my play. Yeah. Um, and then in his screenplay, I don't know if... Well, clearly in the opening lines of the script, you see that he's written um, perhaps... It's like the first couple sentence, sentences. And then he adds it's something the that's so unnecessary. It's the same intro as the, uh, the play as he wrote. play, yeah. yeah. It's like perhaps we hear the fishmongers uh, in the background. But yeah. also so the he's last... kind of like a one-hit wonder and he can't come up with a new thing. More and he has writer's to, block on a wrestling film. More to, more to my point with this is the last line... So the movie opens with his play, Bear Ruined Choirs, mm-hmm. and the last line of the play is, um, we'll be hearing from that crazy kid again and I don't mean a postcard. And then the last what, line... What's the guy is, come up and go... Fish! fish, fresh fish, yeah. fish. <laughs> and somebody on scr- on the stage, who's Frances McDormand, she's one of the characters on stage, by the way. I um, think I noticed that. Mm. Uh, I always heard her voice, and I thought it was her, and then I looked it up and found out she okay. is indeed there. Anyway, but uh, but yeah, the last line is, we'll be hearing from that crazy kid again, and I don't mean a postcard. And then the last line, when Barton, at the end of the movie, goes into his room and he hears the detectives talk, reading his script aloud... The last line of the script is, we'll be hearing from that crazy wrestler again, and I don't mean a postcard. So I think Barton is, I think he played out his idea. Okay. I think that he thinks, because his whole thing is is about, you know, the great suffering of an artist. I think maybe to your point, yes, he is playing out all this crazy shit, and like, maybe he's like upping this, like maybe Audrey was there that night. And they got into a fight or something like that. And maybe he is. But you think it's just in his head because he saw the girl on the beach? Yes. In the photo in his hotel room? Yeah. It's just like hotel wall art, mm-hmm. right? I, it was a dead ringer for Audrey, for Judy Davis. Yeah. So I do think. And then she comes back into it in a fantasy type of way at the very end of the movie. Right. As well, the, the woman in the photo. So I think he is up his own ass with everything. Yeah. And I think, yeah, he's self plagiarizing at the end. And and that's why Lipnick is so uh, kind of just like talks over him in their first scene together. Mm-hmm. Because he's, he's a dime a dozen. Like they pay the writers well, but. He, as a Hollywood director, there are a hundred of those playwright types that come over all the time. Right, which is the... Oh, sorry, go ahead. You know, which is the beauty... Oh, just the beauty of part of this movie is, like, you've got Lipnick and Tony Shalhoub, who we haven't even talked about, (laughs) Geisler. Geisler's good, man. Yeah, he's incredible. Like, you've got those two... And Mayhew is part of this, but his own part of the story. Yeah, I mean, not as important to me. It's interesting, but I think he's more a device to bring the... um, the woman into the picture for Barton. And to make Barton feel even more, like, it, once he realizes his hero is a sham, he can justify, like, oh, I'm more of an artist than my hero. And yeah, you know? so it even builds him up more in his own in his own mind. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah, I think so. But but all, there's all Which this kind where, where he gets the confidence to sleep with the guy's woman. I think so, yeah. it all yeah. kind of ties together, yeah. Um, and, oh, um, <laughs> and also, I mean, if she's been writing, co-writing the his last couple novels, or basically writing 
the last couple novels from Mayhew. Yeah, we didn't get into that at all. But it's it's like it puts him on level if he's sleeping with her. You know what I mean? Like well, I think it that's, raises that's a great point to your yeah. That's a great um, point. But but yeah, she's the ghostwriter for Mayhew, and then she starts to give Barton ideas because he's completely just lost as to where to go with the story. Right. She's like, oh, just do this. Right. So I think part Which of the must reason, have been a major ego, just dasher to like a crush his ego when she died or when no to he realize that, that maybe was... that's why she died maybe he did kill her in his mind because mm. she kind of like took the writing out of his hands and he's right. like this great writer so maybe i don't know i mean this is again first watch i'm trying to like really put it together and again to the credit of this movie it's like i feel like when we were talking about blood and no country where it's just like you'll get a million things out of these movies if you watch them a bunch mm-hmm. of times um but what else is important? I mean, do so you the have last, to wrap up I, I, on I, yeah, I yeah. do. And I mean, fuck, I wish we could just talk about this more, but I, I know we have to move we, on. We can, we but can. There's, uh, there's nothing stopping us. I, mean, I really want to get to the others, though. Okay, um, all right. Well, then we should come up with a. Well, I don't, I don't know. What to come there's, up with, there's one more thing I want to bring up, and then I'll, I'll have spoken my piece, and then maybe at the end we can bring up our other stuff with this movie. But the last thing I want to bring up is just like the contradictory shit that like Tony Shalhoub says, and uh, Michael Lerner says. Yeah, like with yeah. Michael Lerner being like, we all we know that you're special, Barton. Like he's constantly the first couple scenes, you know, he's in, he's kissing Barton's ass. Mm-hmm. He's saying you're the only one who can bring us that Barton think feeling. Um, and there's the but more then he immediately lines, but then at the end, as he's saying you're the only one that can bring us that Barton think feeling. But he's like at the same time we all kind of have a little bit of Barton think in us, don't we? But you're the but, one that knows it more than anybody because you're yeah, Barton, being Barton right? think you would have it in spades. I would hope. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah in spades exactly. So, but then at the end when when Barton you know, submits a script and, and Lipnick is like, what the fuck is this shit? You know? And Lipnick is like, you think I don't have 20 other writers who are just like you? Yeah. Like, you're not special. That's what I'm saying, yeah. Like, like and, and Ben Geiser saying, you know, he's Tony Shalhoub talking about how unimportant wrestling movies are, but then when Barton doesn't have anything for it, he's like, are you kidding me? Like, I stuck my neck out for you. I told him it was great. Like, yeah. Maybe he's not. But as these guys are all in the same. Lip-tick, they keep but. doing the same thing they, mm-hmm. on rinse and repeat, right. which is what Hollywood does. And this is 1941 Hollywood, and right. they still do the same thing. So what happens is you end up with Lerner or with Lipnick, right. basically. Ah, fuck, I had a good point there. Where Lipnick is kind of. Uh, let's just all right. So Geisler, we're gonna have to cut this out. I no, that's all right. I had, I no, had no, something no, there and going. I just get, lost you'll, it. You'll get the momentum back. We'll, Maybe I don't know. So, 1940s Hollywood... Oh, oh, that thing is... Blech. I know. So, 1940s Hollywood... Can we just acknowledge this since it's on camera? We're trying to keep... Yeah. This is, we'll fix it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you were saying something with Lipnick. The, the way things are... Um, oh, that's what my point was. Okay, so the way... He has his assistant, played by John Polito. Great character actor. Dude. In... in uh, the man, or what was the uh, Miller's Crossing, isn't he? And he's the brother Which I Seamus. Actually, in haven't Lebowski. seen any brother Seamus and Lebowski's in yeah. tons of other movies. Dude, John so Polito, good. great character actor. Mm-hmm. So Polito is uh, Litnick's assistant. I don't remember what's Polito's name in the movie. Lou Breeze is the character. Lou Breeze. Okay, so Lou Breeze. Uh, Geisler actually has a really good comment about Lou Breeze. Uh, <laughs> it's so just offhanded <laughs> and quick. So his first phone call, Geisler's first first phone call with Lou Breeze. Uh, Breeze calls him. And Geisler goes, ah, how's Litnick's ass smell today? Right. Like yeah. it's just real. It's, it's a really funny, quippy movie. Like it's it's almost it's written as a play. The movie yeah, itself, so, totally. Yeah. You know, it's kind of tongue in cheek in that. But way. then you also with Shalom's um, character. I know you have a point. Just on yeah, yeah, part sure. of that conversation, part of what I was getting at with like 
the characters constantly acting like they're big shots, but then mm. turning themselves around and you know, contradicting. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like Geisler yeah. also says, "Oh yeah, will you tell Lipnick he can kiss my dimpled ass?" And then all he <laughs> says after that is, "Wait, no, no, no. Ah, all right, all right." <laughs> so he totally just backpedals oh, and yeah. puts his foot in his mouth with it. <laughs> but it just makes it seem like that's the way these guys operate. Mm-hmm. And okay, so one more thing to that point is. Uh, Lou Breeze, uh, in the scene where after Barton kills the girl and he's at the mansion at the poolside, mm-hmm. uh, where you think, see, I saw this coming from a million miles away, even sure. on a first watch. Of course. Uh, Lipnick is about to tell Barton to kiss his feet and then he kind of flips it around and you realize he's telling Lou Breeze to kiss his feet right. and he's still kind of kissing Barton's ass. Right. Just I, I, I saw that coming, but yeah. it's funny. You mean that you, point? You saw that Lipnick was going to turn on Polito. I knew that Lipnick was going to kiss Barton's feet. Okay. I, I was already, uh, which kind of bothers me because I shouldn't have been a step ahead on that. We're good, but dude, we're... But I think I've seen enough movies now that exactly. I knew that was coming. Yes. But I think if I watched that movie in 1991, I would not have seen it coming. Right. Because but you knew... To me, it was very obvious. Because things were going so badly for Barton. That I, I like wrote can't... that down as I was watching it. Like It was yeah. like, this is going to happen, and then it happened. Right. All right, go, um, ahead. go ahead. But to that point... In that scene, and credit to Lou Breeze as a character, doesn't end up kissing Lipnick's feet, right. but he gets fired because he doesn't ki- kiss Lipnick's feet. Bar- Barton's feet, right. It's, it's, it's kiss Bar- Barton's Bar- feet. Okay, you're right. right. You're, you're, sure. you're absolutely right. Okay. Yeah, kiss Barton's feet. Right. Um, oh, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, you're going to break that. Uh, so, to that point, a few scenes later, or the next scene with Lipnick, mm-hmm. Lou Breeze is still working for him. Right. Which so is, it was all horseshit. It was all for show. It was all like, you know, trying to muscle people, trying to make you, trying to make himself look like a big shot in, yes. fr- in front of this writer who he apparently ends up having respect for. I don't know. Although he does Lipnick go into the whole monologue about saying that he's now he owns Barton. So I don't think he has respect. No, dude. We'll talk about. This but he kisses his feet. So I'm he, just. Well, he kissed Ed. His he kissed because he thought. But then once he realizes that Barton is just... Then he's like, you're finished in this business. I'm going to keep you on payroll, but you're never going to work for anybody else again. writing purgatory for Barton. Because it's like everything you write is not going to be made. That's a good segue. How does that purgatory play into his ending with John Goodman as possibly the devil and him being in this hotel hell? Let's talk about that. that When we talk about endings... When we talk about endings, endings. let's talk about that. Because I have a... Do we have anything else on this movie for now? Because we got to move on. It's... Yes... If we get kept going, we could go for five minutes or five years with this. So, for now, I've spoken my piece. When we can talk about the endings, we'll bring we'll come back to it. Back. Yeah. Sure, perfect. I'll have never spoken my piece on this movie. So, for the sake of this podcast, yes, let's move on. We're in purgatory <laughs> for this yeah. conversation. That's fine. Fair enough. All right, what's the next one? Inside Lou Davis. Ooh, fuck. Can I change the screen? Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, Wrong movie. Time. Oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah. So inside. Look at the production movies. quality of this. It's <laughs> believe it or not, this is way better than before. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Well, what do you think about this movie? Do you like it? Do you hate it? Do you feel in between? <laughs> oh, All right. Weren't we gonna intro? I said, put a pin in our char- character, character arcs. Is oh, what character you arcs. So, okay. we, but we wanted to do... intro each movie based on our first interaction with the movie. Yes. All right. I have nothing, I and mean, I'm not kidding, because I don't remember the first time I saw this movie. All yeah. I know is after the first time I saw it, I loved it, 
and I've seen it probably five times all the way through, mm -hmm. maybe six now to present date, if I had to guess. Something like that. Gotcha. It's a movie I really enjoy. I like it a lot. I love the music. Am I a fan of folk music? No, I'm not a Dylan guy. Mm. So first impressions, like, it's 60s folk music. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I read, uh, what's the Jack Kerouac, like, on the road? Mm that kind of plays into this movie. Yeah. So when I first saw it, I did draw kind of those comparisons. Yeah, it's funny because Garrett um, Hedlund is in this movie and he's actually in the movie of On the Road. Garrett oh, Hedlund's Johnny I, Five. <laughs> well, okay, so I thought that he was supposed to be a Kerouac type of character. Of course, he seems he's like He's literally... It, but he was in the Kerouac movie. In the On the Road that. movie, he's like the I, I only. <laughs> this is the only time I can ever say this, but I only read the book. Gotcha. And I did not see that movie. Gotcha. I, I never... I don't know anything. I know... Well, I, saw, I saw the trailer. That's it. Oh, you did see <laughs> that? the movie. I, I knew it was a book. I had, maybe the movie's good. I have no idea. But that's Hed, Hedlund. Garrett Hedlund is his okay. name. Which I think he's one of the underappreciated underused actors but we can talk about that he's uh, he's very good in this and he doesn't speak right it's awesome he, he does but it's also like when he does speak even though you have the Kerouac vibe yeah um <laughs> he speaks in the way that Kerouac wrote his like um uh what's a stream of consciousness yeah. writing yes like poetic Yes. Stream of consciousness. He's his only lines in that movie are that. So mm -hmm. hey, that's off on a tangent on this movie. Anyways, first impressions. You had that kind of vibe. Kerouac, uh, obviously Bob Dylan influence, yeah. and sixties um, New York. Uh, Dave Van Ronk is who the character is based off of. Who Dave Van Ronk was like uh, the big folk sensation that right, didn't make it right before. Well, he did make it, but Not Dylan's, like Dylan. Dylan's success was so massive. That this guy, it, he didn't get overshadowed. He was a little bit before Dylan yeah. got really, really big. But Dylan totally. Well, the last scene of this movie, you have Bob Dylan in the end mm -hmm. at the Gaslight the yes. bar. Right? Yeah. And so Dave, so Dave Van Ronk was okay. the guy who, uh, there's an album called Inside Dave Van Ronk. Mm -hmm. And the album cover for Inside Lone Davis. Okay, these things the movie, I did not know. It's the photography is like the exact same as this. So this, how is that album? I don't know. I've never listened to it. I'm not like a huge. I've so you like Dylan though. I love Dylan, but yeah, I've never. I've not listened to Dave Van Rock much other than four, <laughs> three. You're right. <laughs> um, did, I, did I do that right? Yeah. Okay. I, I think with this one, it is. Yes, yes I did. I saw it at the right time. Like I think it is. Um, it's like, I think it's the tightest of these movies because of how circular it is. I'm kind of rehashing shit I said, but whatever. Well, nobody knows that except us. Right, I know, you'll have to cut. It's the most tightly constructed because of how circular Because of how circular, because yeah. you can, it feels like a film student had an idea. It was like, whoa, what if we like made a movie that's like about a guy and then the whole journey element of it. And then like the Coens, they did such a good job of, and many movies have done this, but they did such a good job of slipping the like, the circular part into it. We're like when he's back on stage again and all that stuff, you feel like, like there are things that are referenced early on, you know, when he says mm. uh, to the, the club owner, he's like, sorry, I was a mess last night. All that shit. At ends the up end, you paid kind off. of don't know if they, if he's doing that again. Yes. Or if it's the first scene of the movie. Exactly. And there's a question about that. You do figure that out and it is explained. It, and which it is. The but it, do, it does kind of just make it like, it's very. It's it's not an obvious like. Oh wait, no. cyclical. Yes. Yeah. There are like things that are alluded to that get brought back into it. Mm -hmm. I mean, the club owner's wearing a red shirt in that first scene, mm -hmm. and then when Lewin is, you know, 
in the club making a full. Or no, sorry. When it, is he wearing a different colored shirt? No, he's wearing a red shirt again. Okay, so yes, I believe he it knows. is. Yeah, but yeah, the movie it, there's not like an obvious. There is an obvious point, but not at but, that point. You exactly. are questioning at that point, and you're thinking, are we seeing him back at the gaslight after he went through the road trip? Right. And all the other shit he went through? Right, right. Did he decide not to become a merchant marine? Right. Or is this the first scene of the movie and we're just seeing it from a different perspective? Exactly, yeah. which is what's so fucking cool about that movie. Because, yeah. well, and, and I mean, I, I think with it, I mean, let me look at my notes. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's, I think basically that he was sleeping at the Gorefines, and usually I think these Gorefines come into it too in that 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 question mark. Yes, like he's sleeping at the Gorefines yeah. in like one of the first scenes of the movie after he gets his ass kicked outside the bar. Mm-hmm. You know, he, it's the, he, the it second scene him. of the movie. Yeah, he it cuts them at the Gorefines. He gets and the cat. Fair the Wells playing all that stuff. Um, which can I say this now since I don't know if we're going to talk about music, which will we'll do a disservice to the movie to not talk about oh, the music. Yeah. But the first. After the first scene, the second scene like moves me basically to tears. Really? Every time I watch it, yeah. When he, when, I don't which, know what it is. Which scene? Like, when he's the second scene when uh, Fairly Well is playing. Really? Yeah. Um, and it's great. Where okay, so it starts. He's leaving, and he puts the record on from he, mm-hmm. he and his partner uh, Mike. Mike. Yeah. Right? So it's that record. It's them singing Fairly Well. Yeah. And. Uh, it starts with their vocals, and then it goes into a whole dialogue scene with him and a couple of other people, and you yes. start to learn who Lewin is, but the music at that point, uh, all the vocals cut out, and you just have an instrumental mm-hmm. uh, for about maybe a minute and a half while he's having this dialogue with people, kind of yeah. trying to figure out where he's going to stay and what his gigs are, what, what he's going to do with like, the cat. <laughs> what he's going to do with the cat. Oh, yeah. Right. yeah. Wait. <laughs> she, <laughs> he calls uh, he calls Gorfine. And Gore finds in a lecture, and the the uh, secretary asks what the message is, and he says, "Don't worry, Lewin has the cat." Yeah. She says, "Lewin is the cat." Is the cat? Yeah. And then you kind of think maybe there's some symbolism there that Lewin is sure. actually the it's cat. Like a cue but for the anyways, audience. anyways, that scene, uh, just the way the music starts, and then they have this conversation. You're starting to figure out Lewin, and then it goes back to him being on the train with the cat, and the vocals come back in. Right. That's where it hits me, like yeah. right in the feels. It really just kind yeah. of like gets me like that's one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie there's a lot of humanity on the train with other people looking at him with the cat yeah like the two kids they make eye contact they smile at each other it's beautiful beautiful Beautiful. music is playing and the cat is watching itself on his shoulder in the reflection Mm -hmm. um but there's a lot going on there there's just so much humanity and then the cat escapes on the train he goes back and gets it so you start to like like Lewin as a person because yeah he, he doesn't He's, just like let the cat well, go. There's one of the there's a famous screen, some point, there's but. a screenwriting book that got really famous like ten years ago and it's called Save the Cat. Kind of the theory behind that title is to make your character likable. You have them do something very admirable at the beginning of the movie. Like because he's a, a piece of shit. <laughs> so this movie yeah. literally has Lewin saving a cat. Yeah. I think that's the Coens. That's Obviously, funny. they're so above using a screenwriting book for like, oh, here's the formula. Yeah. But it's funny that they use that. But they're smart enough a, to use that as a device. To, as, as a, a character works. device. Yeah. yeah. Um, but also in that sequence, there's one of the... Right before the kids see him on the train, there's a guy who has glasses, who I think has mm-hmm. been in other Cohen movies, who later on sees him when and, he doesn't have the cat. Yeah. Which adds to the And they make eye contact again. Because well, the guy's he has the cat. Right. Well, he has the cat the first time, the guy's mm-hmm. looking at him, and then when he doesn't have the cat the second time, 
I reflect as a viewer, like, oh shit, Lewin's got to be feeling guilty about that. But anyway, mm-hmm. I agree. There is humanity, and it I, feels it, like a. I'm sorry, you were making a point, and I just totally okay. went off the okay. rails. Uh, the I went. I started talking about the music in that first scene. No, I agree. I mean, you can't. This music, or excuse me, this movie. If out of these three movies, there's one that requires a discussion about the music, it's this one, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, so no, I'm glad you brought that up. And and yeah, that you're right. It does add humanity to it. And I think that's. I mean, part of the again, we're talking about form and content, and this is mm-hmm. a movie that does a great job of making itself feel like it's a folk song. Like I know you don't listen to a lot of folk music, but like the. Trip across even, America, even, the like, hardships of yeah. couch to couch and like living poor and all that shit. Like that is very folksy and dilly. You know what I mean? Like like the kind of like rough living, but it's manufactured rough living because you know folk originated from uh, from black, not just but people who went through hardships, like, like slave like, songs, slave yeah. songs, and also like the like Irish, really poor Irish people. Like, okay. Folk exists everywhere, but yeah. like. You've got yuppies, you know. Well, even like uh, mountain people, like West Virginia mountain people, that kind of... It's all... Folk music is always the music of the disenfranchised. Mm -hmm. And you've got Lewin who, you know, he's staying with the gore finds. Like, he has access to this upper echelon shit. Yeah. And that's a lot of what folk is. It's cultural appropriation, but not for, you know, race specifically, but like... Yeah. For the upper class kind of co-opting this lower class style of music. Well... And making money off of it, which, which is funny because it's... How do you feel that plays into Barton Fink? I drew a huge parallel between oh, their course. two characters. Barton as a writer, yes, uh, writing for the common man. Right, and but not being one himself. And not, not giving the time, and putting himself above the common man. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Lewin kind of just shitting on everybody. He's so, like, up his own ass about yeah. the importance of the music that he's making. Right. He kind of, like, shits on, like, upper-class people, though. He does, which is why I, he, I like he does, more. Yeah, he does, like, try to live that life as righteously as possible. Also, not to mention, he's not a well-to... He's not... He... No. He mingles with well-to-do people. Right. But... He, at the end of the day, if his... If he doesn't make it in his career, he's a merchant marine. He's gonna be right. on a boat... Like shoveling coal into the, the yeah. furnace on a on a steamboat, basically. Yes. I mean, for all I know about boats in 1969. Yeah. I, I as uh, much as I love John Merchant Turturros, Marines. I don't know what they did, but I mean, but they, not 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 a not a nice like glamorous, no. right? And so, that plays into his father. I mean, they they go into that too. So he, that's what he was. Lewin is very consistent, which yeah. I agree. He does. He's not as phony as Barton no. is at all. No. Because um, you're right. He does get into fight, a fight with the Gorefines, even though he doesn't have a place to stay, right? <laughs> that fight um, is hilarious, oh, by the way. Dude, we, Adriana and I talked about it a couple. We, the, like, the, about the cat? Yes. Hey, where, where is, is his scrotum? Yeah, yeah, where is his scrotum? <laughs> Who says scrotum in a movie? Right. And like, that, when something that trivial is taken that seriously, mm-hmm. like, that is just everything, dude. But you, you feel bad for her because he's a dick. Of and course. like She's just trying to sing along with his song. Right, that's why it's so difficult because you can, it's like a, a Larry David scenario. Like, yeah. you can see both of their sides yeah, exactly. so perfectly. Um, but what I was going to say about, like, what I think the movie, and this is, again, I've only seen this one and a half times. Mm-hmm. I went back and rewatched the intro a little bit, but, like, um, what I can get out of it so far is, like, if you're looking at the movie with the way it's structured, Lew- Lewin letting the cat go at the beginning is inconsistent with him saving the cat, or, or um, not letting the cat escape at the end of the movie, because the way it's structured, yeah, yeah. it's well, like... Well, there's also a middle part with the cat, too. 
Yes, right. Which is why I think the he movie... He abandons the cat in the car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the movie, though, um, because at the end, which the scene... Okay, so at the beginning of the movie, he gets his ass kicked at the par- in the, you know, in the alley. Yeah. <clears throat> he wakes up the gore finds. Mm-hmm. He opens... The, you know, he leaves. The cat gets out. Whole, mo- whole out. movie happens. Yeah. Then the cat thing happens, I guess, non-linearly with at the end with the way it happens at the beginning because at the end of the movie he puts the cat back in the apartment and then he gets his ass kicked where at the beginning of the movie he gets his ass kicked and then the next day is when the cat gets loose so i do think wait so when he get puts the cat back into the apartment then he goes back to the club that night and gets his ass kicked yes so are those scenes shown out of order yes or okay yes Interesting. I never noticed that. You know what I'm, okay. okay, so like literally, just That's again to point. walk through yeah. it. Beginning of the movie, he's in the in the gaslight playing mm-hmm. the song. Bartender or you know club uh, mm-hmm. owner tells him your friend's outside. He gets yeah. his ass kicked by the guy. Next morning, work, wakes up in the gore finds. Mm-hmm. Whole movie plays out. He ends up at the gore finds again. Mm-hmm. Everything's fine. Cat he puts back into the room. Then he goes to the gaslight, and then basically the first scene plays out yeah. again, and he gets his ass kicked. That's the end of the movie, mm-hmm. right? So it's out of order. Those are the only two things that I noticed that are out of order. Is at the in the first half of the movie gets his ass kicked, then the cat thing happens. Second end of the movie, the denouement basically is he puts the cat back in the apartment. Everything's fine. Then he goes to the gaslight. He still gets his ass kicked. So I actually think him sleeping at the gore finds, and this is just like an easy. I know I'll watch this. I'll listen to this podcast and be like, what the fuck was I talking about? No, like, no, now I'll that you're again, saying this, I want to see that and put it together, like, mm-hmm. visually, because I never noticed that. That's yeah. very interesting. So, like, I've I seen this movie enough times that I've, well, I've never watched it analytically the way I did last time, mm-hmm. so, yeah. But I do think... But now I can't not. With know? that info, I think that, um, I think that the whole, f- basically everything up until the second time we see him at the... Core finds when it's you know, fairly well is playing again. I think all of that That's stuff. The first time the, I see him at the Gore finds. Right, right. I think that but is. But you mean the second time? That's the, the same night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But I think the whole movie up to that point is like what his life would be if he decides to keep letting bad shit happen to him. Okay, that's a you good point. I mean? Now, what? How do you feel about that's? Honestly, I don't know how much we have. How much more we have to talk about this movie? Do you okay. have a lot more? No, 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 no. Because we can almost I, take I that and segue into a serious man. Yeah, I would like because to. Because you just brought up the fact that he allows bad shit to happen to him. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you, I want to discuss that a little bit. Um, Lewin, and, and, with Lewin or with Lewin? With Lewin. Lewin. Okay. And then we can segue into the way that Larry Gottnick definitely allows bad shit to happen yes. to him. And yeah. it's a little more in your face. Right. Um, but with Lewin, now... The person that makes that very clear, other than us as a viewer, is Gene. Okay? Gene is the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gene, Gene is Mulligan. the, the, the yeah. girl he... Yeah, the... Used to be his girlfriend. She's dating some nerdy guy now. Right. Yeah. A square. That's the, it's like all the stuff in between is all the other shit we could talk about with this. Because every but, scene is such a banger in this but, movie. But I think, I think it's very important to talk about, like... As far as her bringing to light in, in a very obvious way... The fact that he kind of has no plan for his life yes. and allows things to happen to him. And I think he wants that, though. Like, yes. he's asking for it. I th- there are some lines that, like, specifically state that. I think especially from her. Yeah. From her. Yeah, she's like, 
Um, you're just going to let bad shit keep happening to you. Or because you like no, she, she says because you want it to. Yes. And that's yeah. the point of, like, kind of... You do, as an audience member, kind of question, is does this guy, like... What's his goal? Like, what's he going for? Like, but he's like, I don't have a goal. I like, he just, he only cares about the music and that's mm-hmm. it. That's yeah. it. But yeah. it's got a lot of other demons, a lot of other shit going on. So right. can we discuss that at all? Do you, please, I mean, this please. is the, well, this is the first time you saw it and this is, as many times as I've seen this movie and I told you before we started this, I was unable to make a lot of notes on this for some reason. So yeah. maybe it's something I can come back to and think of, but yeah, I, I was a little bit surprised as much as I love this movie that I didn't feel like I had as much to say. But now that we're talking about it, I wish I kind of looked at it maybe from a different angle. I, I know what you're saying. Because I feel like I'm saying nothing right now. No, and I no. think there's a lot to discuss about Lewin's character as it relates to where he's going in his life. Yeah, I think it's similar to Barton. I, it's, I think this is like a great link. It's funny because I originally thought with this podcast that there would be more to talk about with Barden and a serious man. I always look at those as very like. For some reason, they both just hit me on the same level. I kind of think this, there, there is. Lou and Davis we're coming does to too, a, but yeah. But are we hitting a brick wall here? No, no, no. Oh, no, not at all. I think so Lewin is a topic? really good. You can connect Lewin in so many ways to Barton on the artists, you know, musing on suffering. Mm-hmm. Where, but you can also link it to a serious man with all this bad shit happening mm-hmm. that he feels like he has no control over, which Barton has too. But for some reason, Lewin, I think maybe because it's tight, it's construction, and you know, I think part of the... The fact that... Okay, with a serious man, there's not, like, any... Cir- there's nothing totally circular with it. There are no. things that happen early on where they get paid off. Same story with Barton, but with Lewin, because it feels circular, you feel like even on the first watching, you're like, holy shit... Okay, I, I kind of know what this is on like an artistic level. That, that's how yeah. I feel about it. You know what I, I think like, that's probably what I was saying. Like, I didn't make as many notes about this movie because, yeah. like, as soon as you kind of just analyzing it, as soon as you kind of lay out who the characters are, mm-hmm. you just kind of have to watch them for what their ride is. Yes. And there's not a lot of depth in the story and the plot in this right. one. That's true. And this movie doesn't have a Charlie Meadows. No. I think that's. There's, there's no clear antagonist. Right. Right? I agree. I mean, uh, John Goodman, kind of, but not... That's a No, but yeah, that's just like a portion of... Yeah, he goes on a road trip, and it's really interesting. He brings up when he gets back to New York Mm -hmm. from going on his road road trip to Chicago, he asks Jean if she got the abortion yet, and she's like, dude, that's not, like, scheduled till Monday or something. Yeah. She's like, I saw you, like, a week ago. Right. And he's like, oh, yeah, it felt like I was gone for much longer. Right. And the movie does kind of not even on the timeline of like okay the movie starts and then it's over in an hour and 45 minutes that scene where he's on the road trip does feel like it takes a lot out of his life you know just like there's a lot of emotional stuff that goes on so he's like oh yeah i forgot i was only gone a couple days right so he, he did a road trip for like a day and a half and was there and left and came back in a day and a half yeah so it was what was the what was the point of that um that he the it was feels like longer. <laughs> no, I, I think part. Of I think it, I said the point before I said that to explain it. And now I forgot what the actual first point was that I made. I don't know. Damn it! Okay, well you got you started on that point with um, we were talking about it being circular and like how it feels like it's in a way. Yes, it's as I think it's as deep as these other movies. May, maybe not as quite, or yeah, maybe not quite as deep, but it is. Very goddamn deep, and it certainly requires a second viewing. Yeah. 
but my argument was that, or you know, my my point or my theory, I guess, on part of why it feels like you can get everything you need to get out of it on maybe one or two viewings, which also might be true with the other movies. But with this one, it feels like it requires the least viewings because it's like, in my mind, I'm like, oh, okay, if was... I can figure out the linear yeah. structure of this movie, then I can figure out what it's saying. But then when I had that discovery about like, okay, well, it's actually not technically linear because mm-hmm. there is an event that happens out of order. You see, you know, two events twice that happen out of order. Like, mm-hmm. it changes the meaning of the movie. Well, I actually, so, I actually made a note because they even throw something else in to kind of twist you to make you think that that's not the same night. Yeah. Um, so what's very important, if you have any idea of the setting of New York itself, and they bring it up in the movie, mm-hmm. he's a um, what? He's in the village, right? Yeah. He's in the village. That's where like the the hippie stuff is going on, yeah. right? Yeah. So that's where the. Uh, the uh, folk music, the happening, beats, right? yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. So, in that last scene, when he gets back from Chicago, mm-hmm. not the last scene, but one of the t- toward the end of the movie, he's actually walking downtown, and he's at um, he's in Manhattan. Well, yeah, uh, the village is Manhattan. But he's in Manhattan, like, Times Square, like, downtown. Almost like Radio City Music Hall or something. Gotcha. Because you see him looking, he's walking past, like, uh, movie posters. Okay. Uh, or, or, like, a marquee that's definitely, like, downtown Manhattan. Yeah. Right? Or, yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know how you describe it, but... But it's in, like, a well-populated Yeah, area. like, Times Square a... kind of area. Like, yeah. that kind of area. He's yeah. walking by. And I thought that he got through his whole bullshit with the whole not getting his record deal thing, and then came back to making music. And in the last scene where he's singing, he's definitely more joyful and more passionate mm-hmm. than he was, the, I think, the first time you saw him. Yeah. Like, sure. even the way he's belting out the notes is much different. And you, I, you kind of think, oh, maybe he's getting out of this, like, poor, starving artist thing yeah. and, like, trying to, like, build his career as a commercial artist. Yeah. But then you realize he's actually in the gaslight in that scene. Right. And then that's so that's okay. I, I was like, oh, he's like in a different place now. So yeah. it almost like shows you the same scene, but gives you a different perspective on it. Yeah, like Pulp Fiction does that. Yeah, really. You know, with uh, Honey Bunny. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, so I think it, I do think it's. Level. I think it's the same. I know you're talking about it much. You know what I'm before. saying? Did, yes. I, did, I, did, I, did that make sense? The yes. That? Yeah. Yeah, um, I agree. Just noticing those little things, and maybe that's just the journey the movie took me through, and maybe it was the same. Yeah exact thing happening but i just felt like he was in a better place yes. at the end yes which this movie doesn't have a real thick plot so i mean no. to, to be able to follow that character and feel better for him at the end yeah as unlikable as he is he's but he's pretty likable yeah you, you you have to respect what he went through i agree man and he and doesn't do. he doesn't end up wanting to set when you know the f murray abram the guy from scarface yes when he um at the end, or, but yeah, in, in the middle, when he wants to offer him another gig to play second fiddle to somebody, yeah. he says no. Yeah, and he says he doesn't. You know, he's not going to play with anybody else, basically. So well, he'd been he there, done true. that, and it didn't go well, and right. he went on to he. And he, I, after uh, Mike's death, he made a clear decision that he was going down the path of being just doing it for guy. himself. Yeah. Exactly. So I think at uh, all costs. I always took the. I take the ending as a very. Uh, I take it optimistically, for sure. I do too. And I, I think of, I feel good at the end of that movie, as rough as it is to get through. Yeah, like when he says "ROI," it makes 
guy. It's like he's saying bye to his demons. I think. You and mean I, when the guy beats him up and he, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, and he's laying in the, in the he's laying in the gutter and a guy just kicked his ass and he's right. like just lets it go and smiles. Like yes. he has a little a little smile smirk. Yeah, yeah, like I think the movie has a very op- okay. Maybe it's not very optimistic. <laughs> no, I, I when I when it ended, I wasn't like, oh, that was just really depressing. Did, like I felt very happy for. Just to bring this all full circle, did the Dylan song at the end or the Dylan performance? You know, it's not Dylan, but it was a Dylan song, and then there was a you know little shadow actor playing. Did, yeah. did that do anything for you? Do you know that song? I don't. I'm not familiar. I know the song. Okay. It didn't. Did it hit you emotionally? Because I, I feel like it was a really emotional film in a lot of places. Mostly just optimistically. Like I figured, okay, yeah. Lewin, because I think everybody's been through these situations in life where you go through like just a fucking rough patch, and then mm-hmm. like somehow you you like, and it's usually just in your own mind. But like some big event happens where you feel like, all right, the universe has handed me my ass. And I feel like for some reason I'm at the end of this. John like, Goodman kind of says that to him in the back of the car. He's like, yeah, he says something yeah. like, yeah, I'm gonna be laughing at all the bad things that are happening to you. Yep. Oh and yeah, like, that's Roland right. Turner is gonna be a thousand miles away. <laughs> yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. It's funny. I didn't. Which is I, another. Layer that's a great point because I never realized that as it related to Lewin's story itself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because. I that's what exactly yeah. like what he was saying was happening to him. I, I never noticed that. Cause he you well, okay, so they have a little tiff as yeah. two characters. Right. And on the surface, they're you just think they're arguing and beefing. Like they're just like having an argument in the car. Right. And basically Lewin says, uh, you think if I uh, Roland, mm-hmm. Mr. Turner, do you think if I uh stuck that cane up your ass, you you think it'd go all the way up or a little bit would stick out? And then like you said, Turner goes, he goes into, I used to practice Santeria. Like yeah, basically, yeah. He's like, you'll have a pain in your side right. 10 years from now, and you'll say, maybe that, but yeah, that was, that was a great point. I definitely, and that adds to the, I mean, we talked about it with Barton, and this might be a good segue into, into the last movie, but like, because all these movies feel like they have um, supernatural intervention, for sure. Like, there's nothing in the text directly that shows that that's happening, but all these movies feel that way. And I think the Goodman character, also in this movie, he's the one who, on the text level, adds that possibility of supernatural intervention. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it's only like, I think Adrian made a good point. It's more about, like, Lewin's, it's more like saying how his life is going to turn out, you know? Yes. More so than, I. Oh, in a negative way. Means, exactly. Like, you yeah. put a curse on him and he's just fucked. Yeah, him. but I... But Lewin's but life I, was but fucked I think Roland was... Bad. I think it was a representation of how his life is going at the current moment. Yes, exactly. Gotcha. I guess. But <laughs> I, yeah, no, I agree. I also think... Yeah, for... In terms of supernatural intervention, John Goodman and Fink is, like... It's represented... Oh, it's so much bigger, of more course. clearly... Right. Whereas Roland Turner is more kind of just full of shit. Right, which is why I think it's Lewin doing the most damage to himself. But I do think if you wanted to make an argument for the supernatural, this movie brings that plan to it, a la... How do you see that in... To segue... We have another way, I think, to segue into... To a serious man? man? That's what that whole movie is about, is his questioning of... With Barton Fink, it's like the devil, Goodman, doing things to him. I have a theory. It's Hashem doing it to him, you know? But one last thing... I guess. I have one last thing I want to talk about with... Luna Davis for this segment. 
Um, did you notice uh, the guy he meets him up, gets into a cab? Yeah. From Lewin's point of view, we see the cab two more times. One when it's driving. It rounds the corner and it, it almost skids out. Yes. So you see the car twice, and it's in that uh, scene. Uh huh. And in one of the shots, you see the cab driver alone in the car because the guy gets into a cab. He whistles uh-huh. the cab down. Yes. Yeah. So he gets into the cab, it cuts to a, a shot of Lewin watch, seeing him get in the cab, cuts back to the cab, it starts driving this way. It very clearly shows there's nobody being driven in the cab. No, I didn't. There's just the cab all. driver alone, nobody's in the back seat. I rewound it like 20 times oh, really? to check. Yeah. So nobody's there. And then it cuts to Lewin's reaction again, and then it shows it rounding the corner and skidding out. And it does show the guy in the back of the cab, and then it cuts back to Lewin, and then he says, oh, why? And then the movie ends. So more supernatural think, or and and or things yes. in, things in the character's head yes. that are represented on screen, but not necessarily what happened. Yes, because you, do you think he felt guilty for just berating that woman and thought he felt like he deserved to get his ass kicked? Yeah, so he made up the character was, in the alley. There was a the character in the alley was very much like somebody in um, maybe like the the guy that's hunting the. Uh, the prisoners in uh, Oh Brother Where At. Uh-huh. Oh Brother Where At, though. Yeah, and the Coen's have these. Where it's like an, like an apparition. Sugar. Anton Chigurh is yeah. the same kind of way, where it's yeah. like there's a shadowy figure, it's like a, an omen of bad things to come. Yeah. And the, that movie, when it starts with, you know, that ass That's an awesome. Like, I feel like that guy. That, yeah, I think. The cyclical nature of it and him <laughs> saying, him letting I mean, it go. And, dude, Raising Arizona, same kind of thing. Yeah. There's, yeah the, the, the Coen's all, they have these reoccurring. The biker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I think that, that guy is—he's a, a a ringer for for that for this movie. But for Lewin's shittiness, which to me plays along with my whole like, he's imagining what his life would be like if he allows grief to continue. Mm-hmm. And the reason I look at it optimistically is I think when he says au revoir to the guy at the end, I think he's saying like, I'm not going to let this keep happening, which I know is a stretch, but that's the way I think it. That's so. an okay way to take it, because the movie doesn't really, it allows you, and this is another th- great thing about the Coen movies, is they kind of allow you to create your own interpretation at the end of the, they, it's almost like it's written like a book. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, they allow you a lot of leeway with your imagination, even, even as you're watching things visually on the screen, Perfect. it's not all explained to you. Yeah. You have to create, and we talked about this before with other movies, you kind of have to Fill in the gaps and create things with your own imagination. Oh yeah, they don't, they they don't reveal everything. And when we get into a serious man, I know we're gonna have a lot to talk about with it because there's a lot of that going on with that movie Dude. too. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think uh, I think that was a good way to wrap up Lewin Davis. I mean, and you made a lot of really good points as to how his, I think the optimism of his character at the end, mm-hmm. and kind of just the things that he was deciding that he wasn't going to allow it to happen in the future. And I kind of got that vibe, but I like the way that you were able to kind of, you know, really explain that. But yeah, I think a second viewing that'll, or multiple viewings definitely yeah. will bring more I mean, out. It's, it's been a little while since I'd seen it, but. Yeah, it's a good, I mean, it holds up in the pantheon of like, mm-hmm. you know, Cone movies are kind of like Hanzo swords where like, you, the only, you. The only way to compare them is to compare them against things that aren't Hanzo swords. You know what I mean? That's how Cohen moves up. Pretty much. Like, other than like. Other you know, than uh, <laughs> No Country, I think. Yeah, kind of is the. Uh, yeah, that's kind of like uh, the sword that was used to kill Bill. Yeah, basically. like it, yeah, I, I. Even though it was 
parallel to all the other swords, it's the one that did the job. Yes, and the Hunsucker Proxy is like the crazy 88 sword that gets chopped a million times. Like, there, yeah, yeah, exactly. There are some exactly. lesser ones, for sure, but this one belongs in this conversation of perfect movies. Because it, it is really just, just like, yeah, it is perfect. So, welcome back. Oh, this one's brought to you unofficially by Topachico Hard Seltzer. Oh, yeah. And Topo Chico <laughs> Seltzer. <laughs> yeah, hard and soft. Yeah. I guess it's soft seltzer. Anyway. Right. Um, so going into A Serious Man, I kind of only have one point to bring up, but it plays into every single character in the movie. So I think there's a lot to run off of with my point. Yeah, good. Um, well, let me switch the... All right, there it is. <laughs> There we go. Production value, man. Jeez. <laughs> Look at us. I know. This we're, is high level we're stuff. We're coming along. <laughs> yeah. So, go ahead. All right. So, uh, you, you brought up a point about uh, everything affecting Larry Gopnik, mm -hmm. the main character mm -hmm. in A Serious Man, who's not referred to as a serious man. Somebody else is. So, we right. can talk about that later. Well, he refers to himself as trying to be a serious man. Yeah, well, A good breakfast. Nobody else does, though. <laughs> yes, yeah, nobody else takes him seriously. All right, sorry, I didn't want to throw you off, but yes. You didn't throw me off at all. This is, I, I'm ready to go on this one, mm. I think. All right, so. Good, good. So Gopnik, you had mentioned earlier that uh, comparing him to Lewin Davis mm. in terms of doing nothing or things happening to him. Yeah, more, more things happening to he him. He hasn't done anything. Yeah. He says many times, I've done nothing, <laughs> right. which is, plays into his character in a big way. Mm -hmm. um, and I hope and I, I can articulate my point when I get to it. Anyway, you mentioned that it was uh, Hashem kind of shitting on him. Sure. Which is God? Yeah, yeah. Okay? Oh, yeah, to my understanding, that's yeah. God. So basically God shitting on him. Right. I took from it that the movie was more about the idea of Schrodinger's paradox. Mm -hmm. And I never noticed this before as a kind of... Yeah, I've seen this movie ten times at least. Well, I told you earlier. Yeah. I downloaded this movie. I've owned this movie since 2009 when it came out. Yeah. Nine? Yeah, nine. So, what, a dozen years. I've seen the movie probably five times a year for the last 12 years. So I've seen this movie a lot of times. Yeah, wow. And most of those all the way through, maybe. Mm. Seen it all the way through a lot of times. Yeah. Clips here and there, whatever. Uh, this is the first time I realized, or started thinking about Schrodinger's Paradox. Yeah. And do you, do you know, do you have an idea of what Schrodinger's Paradox yeah. is? It's basically, basically, the cat is not, okay, so, well, you, say, for example, with Schrodinger's Paradox. Gosh, I'm not going to keep saying All right. it. The Simplify cat, it as much a, as possible. Something, to my understanding, Schrodinger's paradox is if you don't know something, whether or not something has happened, there is an equal chance of it having happened or, or not, not having happened. happened right? Yeah. So you don't, so if you, if there's a cat in a box. Which is, that was the original, I think, uh, theory. With the parable or whatever. Yeah, not parable. Well, there, yeah. there's another factor involved in it too. Okay, what's the other factor? So, if you put a cat in a box mm -hmm. with a device mm -hmm. that has a 50-50 probability of gotcha. killing the cat. That's the element of this. That's the element that's important. Yeah. Okay. So, if you put a cat in a box with a device, doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. And it has a 50-50 chance of killing the cat. 
until the moment you open the box and see whether or not the cat is dead or alive, yeah. which is a hard fact once you open the box, yeah. you'll know death or life. Yeah. Up until that very moment, the cat is both dead and alive at the same time, theoretically. Sure. Because there's no way of proving one way or the other. Right. And coming back to the device, that is a hard, like, you, you know you put in a device that is a hard 50-50. Yes. That's yes. the, um, what you would call the control Right? Yeah, sure. It, it, the control in the experiment mm -hmm. is the device you know for a fact is 50-50 going to kill or not kill. Gotcha. Okay. So, but, but, I think... But, on, but philosophically... Well, so, do you want to... I, I could wrap up what I want to say in about 15 seconds. Go right for okay. it. Okay, yeah. So, the most interesting part to me about everything you just laid out mm -hmm. and my understanding of Schrodinger's paradox is the fact that events only happen... Or don't happen if you're aware of them happening or not happening. Exactly. Right? Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Right. So So that's what the movie's about. Right. But what I realized very kind of very quickly this time, it took a couple of scenarios. Because I started writing down my notes on this movie were Clive versus Larry, Cy versus Larry, Judith versus Larry, mm. Arthur versus the daughter, Fagel versus Danny, Larry versus uh, his racist neighbor, yeah. Larry versus Dick Dutton, um, Larry versus Arlen. Who the fuck was Arlen? I forget. I don't know. Arlen's the guy that was working for the um, the board that decided whether or not Larry oh, Larry yeah. got his tenure. Yeah. So sure. Larry versus Arlen, etc. Larry versus so it's rabbis. all character versus character and I sure. very quickly started to realize that all of those scenarios kind of came down to Larry saying he's doing nothing mm -hmm. Larry is the control device in the box oh, and every single interaction that he has and every scene that plays out from his character mm -hmm. has exact directly to do with Schrodinger's paradox so the entire movie and every character interaction is based on Schroeder's paradox Schrodinger's Paradox. Interesting. Did you... I just, like, noticed that. Well, I knew the movie had a lot of... There's not a clear one antagonist. There are, like, 40. Um, and, yeah, I guess yes. I just looked at it as the nature of... But even Larry's not a... Well, I guess he's the protagonist. Yeah. I'm sorry, you looked at it from the like, nature of... Oh, of just, like, every scene needs... You know, the movie needs conflict. And, of course, the movie is a pile of conflict thrown at Larry but, but it's but him dealing with different levels of Schrodinger's paradox yeah. over and over and over and over yeah and at the end of the day the point is Larry doesn't ever want to open the box so he keeps putting it off mm -hmm. so he I guess oh, am I making sense out of this yeah go ahead. I, maybe yeah. I can go into a specific character yeah discussion. do it do it with uh okay. with with um uh, with the Name one. With Cy Abelman. With Cy? Yeah. <laughs> with Cy? Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. I got the one for Cy. Okay. So basically, Cy... So Larry doesn't realize he has a situation with his wife, mm -hmm. which is him not being involved and not killing the cat. Yeah. But him having a situation with his wife is directly created by... Uh, maybe this isn't making any sense at no, all. No, keep going. Keep Psy going. is so involved in creating that conflict between he and his wife. Yeah. Because as far as Larry knows, everything's fine with he and his wife. Right. Psy kind of steps in and just plays that. Eh, maybe maybe Psy's the control device. I don't know. But Psy dies though. Yeah, Psy dies. 
know. Okay. But he also well, fucks with him in his dreams afterwards, true. so he's not completely dead and in his mind. And he is the he's the one who's referred to as a serious man, also. Yeah. So maybe there's something up. But, but I don't know. This, I, this is just a, like a kind of harebrained scheme that no, I started I, coming up with as I started but, watching the movie. I, I don't know if I'm articulating. I'm not trying to poke holes. I'm trying please, to understand. No, yeah. Like, I don't, I, all right. I don't, yeah. I don't know if I'm articulating so this properly. Why do you think Larry is the control device? I'll, let's use another character. Well, use... I would say because just to kind of give an answer to that is because. Or, may, or maybe not. May, maybe Larry is the guy that opens the box. But I feel like you have, like, a positive outcome and a negative outcome. Yeah. And Larry is the one that has control of whether things will turn out good or not. And because he does nothing, he's kind of the one that is opening the box because he has nothing to do with it in his mind. Yes. Does that make sense? Or maybe he's not opening the box because he's always... I wouldn't say he's running from conflict... But he's putting all of that conflict on himself, basically. Like he, yeah, if by he doing would, nothing. If he would, if he would do something, though, it's funny. It's like George Costanza. <clears throat> I'm going to do. Normally, I would do nothing. This time, I'm going to do something. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think it's like. Do you at least see where I'm going with I that do. theory I do. of yes, like every absolutely. interaction that he has? Oh, I definitely. And I haven't hashed out the like specifics of how. But I kind of thought that. Maybe you're the righteous man at Mr. Nine <laughs> It's like you have all the pieces. Yeah, exactly, I don't know exactly. if everything's in the right place, though. I, I, I put I it together. I, I mean, yeah, I'm not writing a mentaculus here, although my notes look like I <laughs> look am. like the mentaculus. Yeah, 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 yeah. They, do. they do. But I know what um, you mean. It's like Larry's inactivity is almost like his refusal to to be active. His inactivity is refusal to be active, obviously. Yes. But his inactivity is like. I think maybe his fear um, to see whether or not the cat is alive or dead. Like, his fear of conflict, maybe. Because he's the one who's constantly allowing all this. But, like, he could literally say to Sai, fuck you! Like, get the fuck out of my fucking house! You know what I mean? With Clive, he could be like, fuck you! Get the fuck out of my fucking office! Get out of my office! Yeah, you I mean, get an F, this is over, we're right, done with this it. Is, I'm not or with Dick Dutton on the phone. Right. He could have okay, been like... I'm canceling right now, yeah, and then I'm, yelling at Danny and being yeah. like, you can't... But he allows Danny to get away with, you know, what's well, going on? He's, he also is always saying, what's going on? But you think, what? I think that's his relationship with Danny. Danny is the representation of how he was raised. Yeah. And why his brother is such a non... Mm. His brother is a... Um, how do you put it when you want to say that somebody is like... Uh, like the epitome of the worst of his character. <laughs> um, like... His know. brother is very. His brother is very representative of his worst, of his weaknesses. Yeah, yeah. Because if yeah. if he actually did absolutely nothing, he would be like his brother, right? Who has done nothing, right? He's a complete loser. Yeah. No, it's true. Right. Yeah. So, so I, I think his his. There's a lot that's going on there with Danny too. Um, think about when here's a, this photo right here, right? Mm-hmm. So he's fixing the aerial. Or he's done fixing the aerial and looking at the naked woman. But as he's fixing the aerial, there's another mm-hmm. scene where he's looking down and watching the guy have a catch with his son. Mm-hmm. Or there's a scene where the guy is uh, hunting with his son or whatever. And they have yeah. a, they have some sort of bond, even though they look like complete racist weirdos. Right, there's yeah. some other family dynamic going on there yeah, something, that, there's something that he doesn't have with his kid. Aspire to. Because yeah. he's got all the shit is shitting on him right. constantly. He's in the attorney's office, and Danny calls him, 
and says, Dad, I can't watch F Troop. Right. Well, if he brought the kid up on the roof with him and taught him how to fix the aerial, so. the kid wouldn't have that problem. So right. I think, like, that's Larry's life, too. And he's just, like, bringing it back on his kid. Yeah. But he doesn't even understand that. Does that make sense? I think, that's a totally yeah, different I, thing than Schrodinger's Paradox. But the movie, that's another dynamic that I saw between the but characters. But the movie definitely is, is I think, saying, uh, and, and again, I didn't. Sorry, I went off on a tangent. No, 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 no. <laughs> I think you're, I'm, I want to add on to what you're saying. I think the movie is a, um, what like a meditation on the cons of being inactive even though at the end of the day and we'll talk about this with the end of the movie larry's fate is much worse than all this trivial shit it's like larry just trying to larry's fear of like adapting to what's going on and like thinking that if he just stays the same everything will get back to normal that's his big flaw like he doesn't take but the reins he even questions and it start... and then goes well i guess i don't know about what? And nobody in his life is helping him. Well, okay, so when he goes to see the attorney toward the end, yeah, he kind of repeats a line that his wife says, or he he, he literally like repeats things that his wife says that she clearly got from Sai. Yeah, yeah. Who is just like cucking him. Yeah. So totally. it's like, what are you? He's not going anywhere with anything. Right. He's not doing anything. <laughs> yeah, and I keep saying I've done is. nothing. Like that's gonna solve the problem, right? And I think, well, yeah, he's. I mean, I, I've done nothing can be taken in two ways: a positive. I didn't do anything to bring this on me, therefore I'm not guilty. No, he's done but nothing the negative. negative but or, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm yeah. saying the positive is that he's done nothing negative. But the negative take on that is yes, exactly. You're doing nothing about. All this horrible shit that's piling up in your life, and there is something which is trivial life shit. Like right. it's just this is how you have to get. It gets hard. Like right. life is not easy. But I think the reason I'm able to follow him as a character and feel like he has the heroic right to take me by the reins as a viewer, and and I'm going through the story through his eyes and all that shit. Even though I'm not empathizing You're totally, it's to. like yeah. But but at the same time, I am watching it for a reason. I could turn the movie off. Part of the reason I'm still watching is Larry is a good guy. Like he's, you know, he, his brother's in righteous. trouble. Yeah, he's morally righteous yeah. in some ways. Like he even says he's trying. He's really well, trying. But... Also, like the the he has no idea what's coming up with his uh, tenure situation. Yeah, and he like breaks down at one point in his office and. Yeah. Uh, says I am not an evil man. <laughs> I'm not an evil man. He's yeah. like one time, one time I went to the theater yeah. and I watched Swedish Reverie, <laughs> and it wasn't even an erotic film. Although like, <laughs> in some ways it was. <laughs> so he went to a porn theater yeah. one time. That's like the worst thing he's ever done in his life. Right. That you know could constitute anybody looking at him in a negative light. Mm -hmm. But he's just being shit on. So yeah, right. I mean. But again, his. Inactivity. How do you well, think about like Daniel Plainview in this situation? I, even though he's evil and horrible. Go, no, go ahead. I would like I'd love that to hear this kind of active character would just never put up with any shit like this. Well, and, that's like, the Larry's... way I look at Larry too. Is like if I interacted with him, I would treat him the same way everybody else treats him because right. he's such a pussy. Like yeah, right. How could you not like? People are nice, and that's yes. fine, and you can like work with that, even if they're like kind of a pushover. Sure. You're still going to respect them and recognize that. But yeah. some people, I mean, I just feel like he's such a just weak person. Yeah. You almost, like, if you had to, like, if I was working and I was in an interaction with somebody like that, I would do my best just to avoid them because I feel like I would end up saying something that would clown them. Yeah. You know what I mean? I like, it's mean. just like, I, it's out like, of, I, I cannot be near like you fear. because 
out of fear of like disrespecting. Yeah, you. exactly. Like yeah. I can't even be around you because you're just something's gonna happen that makes you look right. like yourself, and that's not good. I know what you mean. Yeah, but Larry does have enough. It's like he got to this point in his life. That's part of why I mean this story is so applicable to so many people. It's like we all get to points in our lives and we feel like I'm. You know, he's he's about to get tenure. He's got two kids. You yeah, know, he's got a happy marriage. He feels like he did all the American dream stuff. Mm-hmm. And then there's all that shit that comes after the American dream, like the real life problems where yeah. your kid's a fuck up, your other kid, you know, hates your bro- your your fuck up brother is also there who, you know, can't get his life together and isn't like you know what I mean? Like there's just like it's like But I think that he comes got sorry. I was no. just going to say like he got to this point where he like thought everything was fine and then all this awful shit started happening and he thinks like why me and it's like well dude yeah that's life like you have to deal with shit yeah you got to make a move at some point exactly yeah Yeah. so it's like i think that's part of but i think a lot of people get like that in their lives like they think it's like a lot it, it exposes the lie that the american dream is i think that like you can't do you think that's where the Coens were coming from with writing this film? Maybe. Exposing I don't know. the lie of the American dream? I don't think they were like, I didn't you know get what? That, we're going to write a movie. Not... Yeah, they're not like, it's like, you know, PTA didn't make their movie blood being like, I'm going to expose capitalism. Like, I think it was. Character study yeah. that ended up involving that. Exactly. And the viewer yeah. can't help but put that on it. Well, but... how do you feel about the. Um... So, the least helpful people who should be the most helpful people are the rabbis. Yes. Do you think? Oh, totally, dude. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So, how do you feel about like his interaction with uh, uh, the junior rabbi? I think it's just funny. Just, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just look at that. Would you look at that parking lot? <laughs> right. Like you're saying nothing, and then mm. he goes to the, when he sees Nochner, the second, the the senior rabbi, right? And the whole situation with the goy and the teeth and the the, the dentist with the teeth. Yeah. And then he goes to see his attorney after he saw Knockner, and he's like, "Did he tell you the Goy story with right. the teeth? Like, he just knew that that was that was horseshit, yes. like the whole time." Right. It's like what? There's some other great quotes from that scene, mm-hmm. and the the humor, the dialogue is just yeah, it's booming. masterful. The acting is un- unbelievable. Right. And and, it, and just to, like other like peripheral things about like not the character study, which obviously this is about. Also, the way this movie is shot is, like, the most unassuming out of all three movies. Yeah. Where it's, like, really... This is the only one where you could, if you were focused... Even though it's shot beautifully, mm-hmm. if you were focused on just the audio, you mm-hmm. could literally listen to this film. Yeah. Other than the Yiddish scenes at the beginning and some yeah. of the other ones toward the end. I agree. And and, and gather almost everything that you could. Yeah. Um, non visually or visually or you know what i'm saying yeah, yeah. no I, I agree man. which is makes this movie a masterpiece in that right too because it's so tight in that sense yeah and that you can you it, it could have its hands tied behind its back visually and you can yeah. still experience it yeah really it's like if you it. had a boxer go against another boxer and his hand was tied tied behind his back and the boxer with his hand tied behind his back won the fight Exactly. But this movie does still feel cinematic. It has enough moments when, yeah. like, when Larry needs those reprieves and that song, it plays a few times. It's like very operatic and it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, but it's something in it's. Them. I think yeah. it's mostly Yiddish music. I'm is pretty it? sure it's all, yeah, I think so. Gotcha. Um, I don't know if that's the right, is that the right I think Yiddish linguistic the term for the language? I, yeah. I think so, yeah. I don't know but, enough about it, but yeah. Um, 
But yeah, it is. Even so when a Psy is about to die in the car crash, mm-hmm. there's a song that's playing, and I think it's the same. It is that same yeah. song, and that's cinematic. It has cinematic cutting, which makes it. Work but there's also humor in that as he's yeah. yelling at Clive as right. he's riding the bicycle. Right. Oh, I think one of the fu- <laughs> the funniest parts of the movie is when the daughter, who basically has no lines other than yelling at Uncle Arthur, she was the only one like, that I wrote daughter for her name. Uh, really? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's it's Sarah. Sarah. Yeah, Sarah. And she's like, oh, Sai Woman died in a car crash, and it's yeah. just treated <laughs> so. It's a. All right, I had points on her. Okay, so her she and um. Uh, Danny, mm-hmm. it is Danny, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all Danny cares about is F Troop, yeah, and his twenty dollars, right? Yeah, or or just buying weed and smoking it, yeah, and hopefully and not, not getting, getting beat up by Fagel, right? <laughs> so dodge, dodging the guy he owes drug money to, right? <laughs> and yeah. watching TV and getting and his, that's getting it. his iPod, not his iPod, but his radio back too. That's sure. I mean, that's like not even as it got taken, but. There's not a mission if, to get it back. Ultimately, though, if he could find another way to get some money, which there's a whole subplot as to how the money's being stolen in this family. Right, right. And they're, everybody in the family is blaming everybody else for stealing mm-hmm. the $20. Right. Even... Which is Larry's money at the end even, of the day. Well, even in, at the, in the attorney's office, Larry goes as far as to say, oh, she took all... She wiped our bank account as they're getting divorced. Mm-hmm. And then he goes... And I think she's been stealing money out of my wallet. Right. But it was the, ki- Sarah. But it was the kids. But you <laughs> but don't was... know if it was it was Sarah and... And Danny stole Danny it from stole Sarah. Danny stole it from Sarah. Yes. Right. <laughs> Everybody's in this family just stealing money from each right. other. And Larry's constantly asking, what's going on? Again. He has no idea. And then also, Cy is dead, but Larry's wife, who is hooking up with Cy, wants Larry to pay for Cy's funeral. Right. And Larry does it. Yeah. He also pays all the attorney fees for... So he... he, he this guy just gets shit on him. And also, Sai is the one who's writing the letters to the... Sai <laughs> is writing... To the tenure committee at the college. Who Larry thought was Clive, and then Clive doesn't speak good English, and his father also speaks broken English. Right. And those are the two that are, like, kind of... Uh, against him yeah, yeah. Or, or at least like he he assumes that they they might have a vendetta against him right so larry and then, is well, paying for the funeral of the guy who not only was cocking him and, with his wife but also <laughs> trying to actively work against him at the funeral day. he's yeah. sitting next to his wife or no it's at the danny's the bar, bar mitzvah. mitzvah he's sitting next to his wife mm-hmm. and she says to him Sai has so much had right. had so much respect for you right he even wrote letters to the tenure committee yeah. And you know, you know, via other scenes that the letters were written in size manner of speaking. Of course they were. Yeah, the and, guy, and, and they were all just shitting on him as a, a. I don't even know what they were, but they were just like just like defamatory, denigrating, de- defamatory right. things that would keep him from getting tenure. So yeah. even though Sai was working on the wife, but he was also working on Larry's career right. at the just same like time, trying to while condescending Larry. to him right. to his face, bringing over a bottle of wine. This is a wine, Larry. This is a Bordeaux. A Bordeaux, yeah. But Larry's I mean, such a pussy. You should have right. just like, immediately been like, get the fuck out of my house. Exactly. Actually, I'm going to leave my house. You can stay here. Mm. Fuck you. I'm walking off. I'll figure this shit out later. Right. He just eats it. Like, mm. not even not even in a respectful way, though. Like, I, just, I, I can't I can't get... Oh, behind Larry is a character? No, I'm not, like, pulling for Larry. Out of all these characters, Lewin is my... Is the most... Is the one who I'm like, I respect him the most. I like Lewin, yeah. Um, but Larry... I, a serious man as a movie, though, I still just... 
It's great. And the comedy of if the movie wasn't as funny as it is, I oh, would God. be very upset, I think, because the levity of it it's the it's thing hilarious. that keeps you actually. Going. Oh, yeah. It's not like I believe in Larry as a character. I do think no, even as shitty as size, he's admirable. All of his scenes are some oh. of the funniest scenes in the entire oh, movie. Yeah, they're hammers. I agree. Um, I, what else? I don't even know if we've really talked about. We've like we talked about like the. You want to talk about a serious man more? I don't know what else to say about it. I mean, there's just every. I could break down every scene and talk about why each thing is funny. But well, I got into my Schrodinger's thing, and then the. Abelman, whatever we just talked yeah, about. Yeah, like, like the Goy's teeth is terrific. Yeah, I mean that's it's a whole a, story. Oh yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, like the Goy's teeth, but also just the rabbi. I think what okay, like it's another one of those Cohen things where like there there are people like you know in think they're talking about the seriousness of the wrestling picture, but also how much it doesn't matter. Same thing with this, where like the Goy's teeth, or just like God's intervention. There's like the secular or i guess uh non-secular the like religious view of yeah. larry's problems of like you know what he's going through through the conversations with the rabbis but then also his lawyer is totally just undermining and trivializing all the shit that the, but the he's, rabbis are he's saying. actually so larry has no real guidance at all in the movie he actually honest, honestly i think the lawyer is the most yes. has the only voice of reason in the entire film mm-hmm. he's almost my favorite character because he's the only one that's not a piece of shit yes who actually wants to help larry yeah he's a good attorney he right. refers him to other good attorneys granted the guy at the end larry gets the three thousand dollar bill but right. that's business is business that's i'm sorry game. larry's got to deal with that yeah that and also didn't larry didn't wrong. have to pay also, for the funeral and he didn't have to put up with the Poplar lawsuit or the the Yard lawsuit. How did he not end up having to pay for the? Oh yeah, I'm saying, he, the I'm saying Larry could have avoided yeah. the having to pay that many bills. Yeah, because he could have not had to sue the, the neighbor. He could have just gone to the neighbor's house. And I know it's hard stuff, but like still, still by the laws of movie characters, it's like Larry should go to the neighbor's house. And be like, hey, so we're just not soothing. By the laws the of life, just fuck, like, man up and be like, no, dude, yes. you're not building the shed here. Right, exactly. Plant a fucking tree there, or something, like, build a fence. Like, right, what deal are you with doing, it without dude? having to spend money. Same yeah. story with Cy. Don't pay for his fucking funeral. Um, yeah, with that's, Clive, that's just. <laughs> yeah, things that you just wouldn't pay. The only thing Larry really needed, should have paid for. Also, Arthur, his brother. He shouldn't have paid for his brother's fines or whatever he got screwed over for with like the law like no i should have kicked him out right so larry could have at least he were, mitigated some of his issues if he were a serious something. man he would have he would have uh what? taken care of those problems without <laughs> snacking up is that why bills. this is a serious man yeah it's in red i guess is so, it just a man? just a man <laughs> yeah right. uh i guess so he could have yeah he could have if he really got his shit together the way i think he wanted to he wouldn't have had to Did he want to, though? Any of this. Just like Lewin Davis? Like, did he really want to? Was he but just... What's Larry getting out of it? He's just being humiliated the whole movie. I just... I mean, does that play in... I, all right, so... What in the first scene has to do anything with the movie? Other than Schrodinger's Paradox. Because, again... Yeah, I know. If you go back to... Is he dead? Is he not dead? Who can decide? Only whoever... God. Yeah. At that point. Because all we have is... The husband and the wife. Right. And the de- control device. Right. That's Schrodinger's paradox again. Yeah, I agree with that. You have the husband is him being real. The wife mm. is him being a, a demon, a right. divic. Yeah. And he's the control as he could be 50-50. Mm. And we never got to open that door. Right. 
So we don't know. So what about it? So I, both, I agree with so that. So he's both yeah. alive and dead, or he's both a demon and not a demon. Right. Which I never noticed before. So I guess I'm trying it's to par- bring it back to what the movie's about. Is that the only parallel between that intro scene and the rest of the movie? I don't. I think it's because I always maybe thought that their family was cursed was because cursed. of that whole and situation. I think that's a very quick. Or do you think it was just a completely different um, uh, fable? I think it's set. I think it's there just to set up. The theme of the movie, which is basically, I think so now, uh, uncertainty of, yeah. of your life, basically. Yeah. But it's a great, it's a very quick fate. I mean, to your point about Schrodinger's paradox, it's just, it's a more fleshed out version of that with more interesting Do you see where I was going with Schrodinger's paradox and all oh, the, the character involvements now? Yes, I that's, do. that's what I noticed this time, which mm-hmm. I never noticed before. I thought the Schrodinger's paradox thing was just a way for Clive and. Larry to get into an argument yes. and make me laugh. Right. You know, but right. I but never no. realized how that f- worked into the writing of the entire film. Right. And that, then I started going, holy shit, Schrodinger's Paradox, that has to do with the couple at the beginning and the right. and the Dybbuk. And then I started looking at all the character interactions, and maybe I need to keep going deeper into that. But I think that's what's going on there. I agree. I, I think, think the whole movie is structured off of that. I think, again, the Coens are so good at using the content of their movies and like things that feel really small or, or feel just like, Oh, this is just part of the story. Insular. Using, yeah. Insular things yeah. like that to, that apply to the action, the overall structure mm-hmm. of the movie or just the themes that, which every, a lot of, you know, most filmmakers worth their weight are like, they use those elements, but the Coens use them so tightly. And like, like the fact that Lewin Davis feels like the movie could be a folk song and the fact that Schrodinger's Paradox feels like it could be applied to every scene in, in a but series. But so, it's so tightly put together as a film, it makes you forget that that's a theme. Exactly. And you're watching something else. Which right. is what I did for the entirety of that movie. Right. Or, yeah. or I'm sorry, my entire viewing experience. 20 seconds. 20 seconds. Okay. I my, feel like... My entire I, viewing experience up until analyzing it and seeing it from that point of view. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. That's why you don't have to watch... You can watch these movies once... And I guess if you're like a casual viewer, I still feel like even the casual viewer has to know that any of these movies, there's more than just what's going on. All right, welcome back. Final segment. We're going to get into the endings of these three movies and then talk about some other stuff and wrap up. Uh, shit, I already forgot. What was the point that you specifically wanted uh, me to bring up? These are all just very ambiguously ended movies. Yeah. Like three of the best ambiguous endings. Of all time, I think. Yeah. I feel like the Coens are great with the ambiguous ending. They are. We kind of touched on that earlier in terms of them being ambiguous and also the fact that uh, they allow you to kind of write your own story mm-hmm. at the end or create your end. Create your own meaning. Create your own of meaning. Like what the whole and, thing was about. Yeah. Um, so they're really great at trusting the audience to... They just trust the audience. They don't spell everything out for you. They don't treat you like you're an idiot right they let you think about what's going on and interpret it and yeah. allow you to watch it a second time it's almost like rereading a book that you right. maybe didn't get grasp the fullness of yeah and it's they're, they're so deep in that way it's not yeah. like the Shyamalan ending where it's like i didn't oh. understand a lot or i understood <laughs> it but whoa there's a completely new meaning it's just it adds to all the stuff you've already seen yeah. without being like and here's what it was yeah. here's what it was all about like it doesn't so, deliver it to you like that so, so to uh, the ending of the first movie we discussed yeah all right so the ending of barton fink 
And I did say earlier, to bring it back to Shyamalan, I literally wrote down as the twist ending thing happened, I wrote Shyamalan twist. Uh-huh. Um, it, it doesn't matter what I wrote. At the end of the day, I have a question. Why did they do that? It To me, it didn't fit. I got the whole movie. Yeah. It was deep. I loved the character study. I didn't understand why they made it so surreal. Mm-hmm. So quickly, yeah, yeah. In the final act, yeah. Um, and that's my question to you, as a somebody who's seen this movie a lot of times. What's your take on why they made Goodman such a, why they made Goodman and made it very clear now? In there was a question the whole time as to whether or not there was some maybe supernatural stuff going on, right. and then they just put it right in your face, like. In the, in the final act. Yeah, well, I didn't realize until just now what I think it means, but I actually think I know what it means. That's why I wanted so. to catch you off guard and I didn't so, tell you what I was going to ask. Yeah, I think his... Why did they do that? So, okay, he has a couple... I mentioned muses with these movies, Lewin and Fink specifically, mm-hmm. earlier. Um, so, Barton Fink I, in this one. With Fink, okay, so he has three muses that I can think of in this movie. Charlie, a.k.a. John Goodman, for the wrestling movie. Mm-hmm. Um kind of the head of Judy Davis's character, Audrey, I think is her name. Why do you think that? Because he once he gets the head, that's when when uh, Well it's a mystery as to what's in the box, but Sure. But but come on. I mean yeah. Well to be honest, seeing this movie after seeing Seven, I was annoyed immediately because Seven ruined this movie for me because I already (laughs) saw Seven. Right. I knew it was in the box. Sure. And this was before the detectives even introduced the fact that Charlie was a Yeah, but this movie came out seven years earlier, so yeah, well, that's my fault for not watching it. I didn't also didn't watch Shawshank until I thought it was stupid sure. too. So. Right, so and I'm not okay. saying I think this movie is stupid. So I just, for the sake of for the sake of sequence point, at the end. For the sake of my point, let's re- yeah. let's remove the head. No pun intended okay. from the argument. Um, sorry to go off my head. No, no, no. It's okay. So sorry to go off with the head. <laughs> but um, <laughs> how how droll. Uh, but no, okay. Let's say he has two muses because I the head thing you can. Take that a different No, yeah, that's a valid point. But I just me, I went off on it. But to me, he yeah, has two or three muses. I think you could argue the head is, I'm going to remove that from this portion of the conversation. Re- I'm going to remove the head from this portion of the conversation. Uh, oh, my God. So, the, so Charlie is a muse, and then the picture of the lady is a muse. Yeah. <laughs> right? The lady on the beach in the yes. photo. And the, so yeah. Charlie, for all intents and purposes, dies at the end of the movie because he... Goes into his room while the building's on fire, and he's like, I'm just going to sit here for a while. I don't think Barton's going to see Charlie again. I don't take it that way. So I take it as, did Charlie, okay. Charlie is a muse, he dies. Barton ends up in writing purgatory, because now he's having to write he's all beholden this horrible to shit. Exactly. Yeah. So I take that as he's, you know, he has to fulfill no, his contract. Not even though Lipnick tells him he's not never going to work again, even though Lipnick contradicts everything he says, so... I guess maybe on that point you would assume that Barton's going to work for Litnick again. He's but Litnick leaves it He's at, never like, you're never going to work in this town again, kid. It's not quite that cut and dry. It's no, but he tells him he'll never create anything ever again, and he's just... Uh, uh, maybe we're on the same page, I guess. Okay, I think Minus a couple of nuances to that conversation. Yeah, okay, but for whatever. all intents and purposes, he's in writing purgatory on a literal level for maybe the next couple of years because he's under contract, which a lot of these old Hollywood studio contracts... They basically were like that. Like, you couldn't write anything that wasn't for the studio. But the situation Barton's in now is he also can't write... Anything he writes 
uh, belongs to the studio, and the studio is not going to make anything you write. So he's a writing purgatory in the sense that he can't be creative. But the reason I give this movie an optimistic stamp is because at the end, I think I take that as his muse, the, his other muse that he's had throughout the whole movie is very much alive and well. And I take this as like once he's out of that writing purgatory, <clears throat> it's still going to be there. Like his fire to write is still going to be there. That's how I take the ending. I think he's still, based on everything you just said, he's still in purgatory and John Goodman's going to come visit him. Mm, he does He does start to walk out of the hotel, though. Yeah, he leaves the hotel. And it burns down. He does, oh, do they show the hotel burning down? Or no, do they just show the hallways fire, burning? But it's on fire. I take that as it's burning down. But Goodman says he's going to stay there. Yeah. Okay, I guess we have to talk about I am the... Uh, the life of the mind. The life of the mind. I am 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 the life of the mind. Walter, you're not the life of the mind. <laughs> but yeah, what about it? I don't know. What do you think about it? I, this is my first watch, so I, I think haven't just, really that's been able your to... opinion, man. That the hotel. <laughs> I told you I was going to ask you questions about the end of this movie. I, that, I, I that's my take on it. Is that he? Is that that part of? I, I do think. Okay. I think this movie is not literal, but I think it's literal. And uh, fuck, what am I trying to say here? Well, I, I think take... figuratively, based on the situation that he's in with Lipnick. Yeah. That he's still stuck in the hotel, even though he looks like he's leaving, and the hotel's burning down, and John Goodman's going back to his room. Where is he going? He's just walking down the hall. He didn't walk to the elevator, did he? Is yeah, the he elevator? Walks the he walks the toward elevator. the elevator. Okay. I take it okay. as, as right. he's getting. He doesn't go back to the hotel, and uh, so he's like, I'm out. He's just kind of wandering around. So he's so gonna stay in L.A., but so you're optimistic. Well, does he have to stay in L.A. contractually? Because of Lipnick? Is that what's I don't, going on? I don't know, but I always assumed he had... Well, yeah, Walter or, uh, Lipnick says, I want you in town and out of my sight. Yeah. So I, I take it as he's going to stay in L.A. So would Goodman go just walk to another hotel and follow him and be that, put it, keep him in purgatory? Maybe, maybe. But I still think the fact that he... The, the movie ends with him looking at a living, you know, cor- corporeal version of... The woman in the the woman painting, in the picture. So the picture. I take that as like the drive to still strive for something greater okay. is still on the horizon. That's right. how I take it. Even though it's a very negative ending, I think it's optimistic. <laughs> or that's a silver lining in the shitstorm that he just experienced. How do you feel to wrap up that end of that movie about Barton as a character? Well, I still think he's full of shit. I still <laughs> think because before we talked about the ending, we did kind of discuss how he's pretentious, full of shit. Yeah, like, and I do think his, his, his big idea. Yeah, I think yeah. his big idea. And you—that was a good point that you made. That his yeah. one big idea was his play, and right. he rewrote that. Right, but maybe the fact that his muse is alive means he's going to take all the shit he just went through and write a script about that. I think you're of very course, optimistic. Of course, Lipnick is probably going to read that and be like, what is this? You wrote a script called Barton Fink, and maybe it's the... You know you know what I mean? Like, the movie is a script that you wrote, like... Well, that, that was one of the first things I said about the movie. It, it was... It's, is that it's very... It's written like a play. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, at the end of the day, it's kind of cyclical in that way, in the way that Lewin Davis is, yeah. and ambiguous in its ending. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what do you take out of the ending? I think I just, that's it. I mean, I don't have a, a solid 
I think what I took out of the ending is I need to rewatch this movie. Yes. Um, yeah. but that's how I felt. But, like, but I'm, I'm trying to play devil's advocate and right. you know, poke holes. I get it. Ask what you think about it because I've only seen it once, and yeah. I think the things that you said have made me. I didn't even know how to discuss the end of that movie. I know what you mean. And now I know how to just no. Now I know how to go into that movie again. Sure. Yeah. And have some idea as to what the hell happened at the end of that movie. Because mm-hmm. I was very confused. Like yeah. I said at the beginning of this small discussion yeah. in this segment, that after I I got what was going on, and then that last act, I just was like. Why and that was my question to you. Yeah. Why did they do that? Right. And I think you answered that question for me. Yeah. So now I get to watch it and understand that perspective and you helped me form a new perspective in that conversation. Thanks, man. I mean no, I think no, really, thank you. you know, <laughs> but no, that's I didn't I mean, again, it's I feel like I'm Barton Fink talking about it. Because it's like I knew the first time I watched it, I don't know what I'm feeling, but I know it's special and yeah i know that there's more to just what i just saw like there like i said with there will be blood yeah exactly right it's not it's it might not be as simple as god i can't help it please it's the best movie ever (laughs) but um but yeah i don't think there's more to it so i mean there's clearly more to it but yeah that's that's my take on it all right cool all right next one ending of davis Lewin Davis. I feel like we kind of did. Yeah, we kind of covered that, that one. Right? What we did, could skip that did one. Did you get enough out for your thoughts on the ending? Pretty much. I mean, I kind of didn't know how to discuss that movie either, and I think our conversation really helped me figure yeah. out what I wanted to talk about with it. So that was that was it. We okay. covered it. So you take. Well, I don't. Know Do you want to like I, wrap it up right now with anything else you thought about the movie, other than we're going to talk about funny shit? No, at I want to. I want to poke your brain, or I want to pick your brain. A Please, little yeah, bit ask, ask questions. What I'd love you, to. Like, what do you get out of the ending of Fluent? What did I get out of the ending of Lewin Davis? Um, I brought it up earlier. I think at the end, he sings with more passion, and it left me feeling the most optimistic out of the movies. Also, he went through the things with his father. He sung the father... He sung the song to his father that... He knew that his dad always loved. Yes, that his sister and, had the record of. Yeah, like, okay. exactly. Yeah. And then the dad at the end of the song, toward the end of the song, Lewin realizes, he goes, wow. Wow. And, mm-hmm. and you think that his father was moved, maybe. Right. But he was moved in a different way. Yes. His bowels, bowels moved. moved. <laughs> right. So he says, wow, a second time because he's actually smelling the level of shit in the room. Yes. And, like, so that was, like, just a downer. I think mm-hmm. what I took away from that movie was how brilliantly it was crafted because, yeah. because you had so many highs and so many lows, and they were so... It, it was written the way... I think I said this earlier. It was... Or maybe all three of these movies, but this one was, like, um, set up, set up, set up, punchline. Yes. But it set you up in an emotional way. Yeah. And then the punchline was hilarious. Right. So you had all of these emotional, horrible things going on, and then almost every scene ends with a joke that kind of leaves you feeling good about what just happened. Or, or not yeah. even, yeah, not even good about what just happened, but you're like, that was fucked up, but right. that was also hilarious, the way that they were able to bring this situation to you yeah. and make it funny. Yeah. That's what I gained from that movie. It was more of kind of like a stand-up routine. Yeah. And I hate to say that because it's so serious as a character development the character study, character right. development, beautiful. The music is beautiful. It's very sentimental. I told you, I like 
Yeah. I watched it last night and like I've seen it a bunch of times and that intro second the second scene like I was like kind of tearing up like welling yeah. up just emotionally affected. Mm-hmm. But you have also the scene okay can we get into? I want to get well, into. I want to get into funny man, stuff, but we got to do a serious. Let's do a man. serious man really quick. Let's I had a good segue for that, but I guess we can come back to it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's man's... that's what I took away from that movie. At the right. end of the day, I just thought it was a series of emotional setups and yeah. perfectly timed juxtaposition that made you laugh your ass off. Yeah. Or even just be like, <laughs> yeah. like just kind of feel like. It, it tapped into such a broad range of emotions in mm-hmm. each scene. And mm-hmm. that's what I took away from it. And that's what I loved about that movie. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, that's what I got. So then, okay, for a serious man, I, I've i never read anybody else thinking about this, but my take on the ending... Actually, that's what's a your tough take? One. I want to hear that's your take. That's a tough one. Well, okay, I'll tell you my take then. So my take... Let me go eight, back to Schroeder. Eight, eight, what's that? Cat box. Adrian has heard my take. So you know the goy's teeth? Yeah. So like I take the ending, I and I know I'm I'm wrong. I know I'm wrong. But the what? ending Don't say I that. Want, this is could be the ending I want to believe really happened is okay, he gets the call from the doctor. Yeah. And the doctor, you're assuming, is calling with bad news, right? Yeah, but, like you've you have cancer. Right. Also, they didn't even say like that he had x rays. He was at the doctor in the first scene of the movie. Yeah. And they only show it for a snippet because they go to Danny on some other bullshit. Right. They show him uh, x rays, don't they? Mm, He's laying down maybe. on the table. I He's think. laying down on the table, but the doctor's pressing down again to the Cohen's like sound quality. Yeah. He's like pressing down on his belly and stuff yeah. and his stomach goes like like a little gurgle. Right. I don't think they show the X rays. Oh, okay. Well either way. And so then in the same scene Danny is like He's getting he's in his classroom getting with the, the ear earbuds. Yeah. yeah. Um but I think that okay, remember the Goy's teeth story, how insane mm-hmm. that is and how there's the help me save me. Yeah. And is I think that the doctor found something in Larry's body that was something like that. Like, uh, that's not, such a not, stretch. See, I knew that's why I, I know I'm, I'm not wrong, saying you're wrong. But... I'm not saying you're wrong. But <laughs> you have to almost like that's such a stretch. You got to prove that. Point. I know. Well, that, I don't really have anything to prove other than the movie has the Goy's teeth scene. And that's such an I know that that scene can act as a red herring for like there really is no meaning. And even like you don't have guidance from the church. I, I, yeah, I think it just has to but do with how much full of shit the rabbis the rabbi are. Is. But you think it was such a But the movie dedicates like five minutes to that and it's and it's it's a great scene it is an incredible scene and it's the most interesting scene in the movie because it leaves you with so many questions and like but Larry has so many questions and he's like so what happened Mm mhm with uh, uh, who's the dentist? What's his name? Do we do you remember? Lee, Lee, uh, Sussman, Doctor Sussman. Sussman. Yeah. yeah. So what happened to Sussman? Mm-hmm. Ah, you know, he went back to his normal daily routine after like, he checked right. all the teeth for a while. Went back to his normal right. routine, <clears throat> and then so he's like, okay, so what happened to the goy? Who cares? Who? <laughs> Does that matter? Like, right. You know. And really, he's the, like, what the, the fuck? thesis of his whole thing is uh, helping people or being nice, good nerd. <laughs> <laughs> like, thanks. Um, <laughs> so you you're saying that that theoretically, at least optimistically, as you want to see this movie. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. think it is. I don't think so. I'm sure Danny dies and Larry has cancer and it gets worse. Danny dies in the tornado and Larry gets cancer. Right. I mean, probably. But what, what do you think I, happens to Arthur? God damn, he probably suffers the worst fate of anybody. Probably, goes to prison. Yeah, exactly. Goes to prison because of his 
you know, sodomy situation, which came out of left field. You thought he was going to get arrested for gambling. Right. Um, So I think the ending, I take that out of it, or which I don't take that out of it. That's the ending I want to happen. Okay, that's the ending you want to happen. But the ending that I think happens, yeah, is that, like, things get much worse for Larry, and he doesn't... he doesn't, he hadn't considered, like, say things, he has cancer. I'm thinking, I'm Larry. Now I have cancer. My son just died. Um, wow. Maybe things weren't so bad beforehand when all this other bad shit was happening. You know what I mean? Because like, a lot of it was, like, normal life stuff. Yeah, and things that he could have handled. Where now this big thing that he can't handle is there, and now he truly is fun. And maybe if he had handled the other shit, he would have figured out how to get through adversity before he got to... Yes, that's a good. So that's the real ending that I I think. Yeah, my real takeaway. But what I want to be my takeaway that I just wanted to talk about was that maybe he had like some you know Hebrew carving in his bones or something. I don't know, but like he wraps up the Sussman story Mm -hmm. in some way, which I know again. Whatever. So what do what do you what do you you think? Honestly, (laughs) to be perfectly honest, I've only taken that movie at surface value for the most part, and the the humor out of it. Really? Yeah, like the most I've I I have gathered the depth of it, and then <gasps> how did you see it? Oh, shh! It's a June bug. Oh, okay. Dude, uh, how did you see it? See it what? was like, it was behind you, and it flew, and you it saw it. Hear it? It was going. Brrr. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so you've taken you took the humor I, out, which which is that's part of why honestly, that movie works. Uh, <laughs> other than I, what's it? Uh, if he wants to eat it, it's okay. <laughs> um, so, Serious Man and Lewin Davis, I only pretty much took its surface value after multiple watches of both movies. Um, because we're doing this, I'm watching things more analytically. Yeah. Um, now, taking them at surface value doesn't mean that I haven't yeah, dealt into, like... But I've looked more at the humor, which we haven't gotten into yet. I I viewed, and can we segue now? Yeah, yeah. I viewed all three of these movies as comedies. Oh, of course. Uh, Which we haven't really talked about how funny they are, really. So, I mean, I just, I think they're hilarious. They're they're all three are black comedies. Oh, yeah. Um, In our discussion, as it relates to... just what we're talking about now. I think we're just getting into like character development. Like best, all the, yeah, let's talk about best. All the serious stuff about these movies, but yeah. we haven't really talked about how funny they are. We brought it up here and there, but I mean, that's the angle that I've looked at these movies from. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. And, and somewhat with uh, Barton Fink, but in relation to this conversation, as it being, as this was the first time that I saw that movie. I yeah. kind of looked at it through a different lens. Maybe if I'd saw it, if I'd seen it before, mm. even recently in its entirety, and wasn't really trying to dig deep into it, I would just think it was hilarious because yes. there's a lot of funny stuff in Barton Fake. Right. Which I did notice too. Right. So yeah. Well, so then okay, let's. Talk That's my takeaway from all of these. All three. Really, yeah. Okay. So then, best. Let's wrap it up with like bests. I, I don't even want to talk about worsts. Can we just talk about our best shit? Like, you have critiques? I don't think there's much that we can critique, other yeah. than what we've already discussed. A couple things that didn't make sense. Yeah, exactly. Should we talk about similarities, do you think? Let's talk about the funniest aspects of these movies okay. as we've worked into that. Yeah. And yeah. If, I think we keep drawing similarities between the movies, so I think we kind of are, have already 
The only cover that for the most part. Do you mind if I real fast? No, no, no. You might cut this out. Whatever. This is not similarities. Is not big, but no, we can. I love do that. These movies all, and not just these movies. The Coens, in so many movies, have the most memorable secretary characters. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Can you like? You want to quiz me on them, or do you want to? Do you want to go off with one, or no? I mean, just these movies all have good. Like, do you want to talk about every secretary in every movie? (laughs) No, but they all. They basically all have them, and you can even argue Brett or the Big Lebowski is one of those. He is hundred (laughs) percent. Okay, I have one. I have one. Yeah. All right. So, um, the principal secretary at the beginning of the serious man. Yes. The way she. All right, first, you kind of don't even have an idea of anything about her. Uh, you know what's going on with Danny, the principal? And she walks in, and she's carrying, like, the dish. Right, like uh, a tea, like a cup a tea and cup. And it's going, like, she sh- right. she's shaky. It's going, right. Yeah. And then she walks up, and she has the most, like, important waddle you've ever seen yes. in your entire life. Yeah. As she waddles up to the desk and waddles back, and then she's right. gone, and that's it. That's it's it. Not, yeah, what's, like, what is the most funny scene in Think That? I think the funniest where I just, like, this is ridiculous, is uh, when he's looking at the dailies of Devil on the Canvas, Yeah, and it's the big guy being like, I will destroy him! <laughs> it's just, like, showing that clip. Dude, I wrote that. Place. I had so many quotes that I wrote down. Um, I Will Destroy Him was one of them. Yeah, everything else to me is like, ha um, in my head funny, but that part makes me really laugh. Do you, as you've seen this movie a bunch of times, do you remember the scene where somebody's going off on the phone to somebody else, yeah. and they go, who is this? Do you remember that? It was just like the Seinfeld scene oh, where... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's Barton going off to Garland, his agent, being like, and Garland says, "I think I've written this? something big." And he, yeah, and he's like, "It's oh, it's Barton." So, oh no, no, sorry, it's not a Garland. It's Audrey. It's Audrey. He's like, "Hey, Audrey, it's me." I can't. And he's like, "Oh yeah." All his problems. She's like, "Who is this?" Just like, and then he. So says, that reminded me of uh, when George Jerry, George yeah. going the off the rails. Yeah. And Jerry clearly knows who it is. Right. And he's he's like, like, "Who is? Who is this?" Yeah, I, I wrote that down as a quote. I thought that was really funny. That is great. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean that's pretty much it. You said, uh, what does he say? I will destroy you. I will destroy you. And that's so funny because it plays to how trivial the dialogue is in Barton's trying to create a masterpiece. Yes. It's literally just a couple of guys smashing each other's faces into the mat. Yes. And they have to create uh, the most bogus bullshit backstory to make these people interesting. Right. I think the other quick laugh I had in Fink is... Lipnick, and I'm sure you noticed this, when his final, Lipnick's final scene, mm-hmm. Barton goes into his office, <clears throat> and Lipnick says very self-importantly that he's enrolled in the army, as a, in the army reserve. Oh, he's yeah, wearing yeah. like a corporal outfit, <laughs> and he says they didn't have uniforms for so the So he had one made. So we had the wardrobe department at the studio make him <laughs> out. It's just such a just quick so... little Dude, that was, that was hilarious. That was plays awesome. Plays to his You're vanity. Right. Like, yeah. I love that. That was good. I love that too. That that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, it's um, funny. And then uh, serious man, like, what's the funniest scene in serious man? That's tough. It's that's so the... subtle. And I wanted to say, should we talk about Cy Abelman? I think so. Is man. it so cringy that it's just not funny though? Or is no, it just, dude. Like, I think a serious the man opposite. Is the funniest one of because he's so cringy. You no, thought like, Serious Man was the funniest of the oh, three movies? Oh, yeah. In terms of, like, laugh-out-loud funniness, I think yeah. it's... I think it's it's not, like, jokey, clearly, no, but it's, it's so, like, so damn funny to it's me. It's so subtle. Like, Larry, I, th- I really think the Jolly Roger is the best course of action. Yeah, I think... And just, that just wrapped up the whole 
thing about him just shitting on Larry, and you're like, and Larry just goes with it. Right. Again, I'm mad about it, but but I think Sai is hilarious. just so disgusting and transparent in his goal that like. What about the fact that every time anybody brings up Sai, they go. Cy Ableman? Yeah, yeah. They're just shocked by the fact that this woman would be attracted to this dude. Cy Ableman. And they feel bad for Larry because she's cheating on him with that dude. Right, right. Which makes them automatically look at Larry less. Right? He's brought on himself again. Yeah. But they have to be socially polite and be like, Cy Ableman? You know, it's, all right, well, are you going to try to... Figure it out. <laughs> like the lawyer yeah. is like, yeah, he's just like, I can only do empathize. so much. I can't like butt into your personal life. I right. deal with your legal but, like, why matters. Are you dealing with this. Um, Sorry, what were you gonna say? No, and there's one really kind of funny racist thing that happens, and it's not even funny because it's racist. It's funny yeah. because it's making fun of the racist being racist. It's what? when um, <laughs> it's when Cl- Clive's father comes up to Larry, yeah. and his neighbor is already racist again. He's like anti-Semitic. Mm-hmm. He, you get the vibe that he's anti. Right. You really get the vibe through Larry's dreams that he's yes. anti-Semitic because he literally shoots his brother and tries to hunt him. Right. But um, before that even happens, they he's at odds with his neighbor, and you can tell his neighbor's probably uh, like kind of like culturally not. Yeah. Yeah. Not feeling the Jewish guy in his sure. neighborhood, right? Right. And, but he gets, Larry gets confronted by the uh, Korean dude. Yeah. And the and the white guy comes up and he's like, is this man bothering you? <laughs> right. And he's yeah. like, it's like, and Larry just looks at him like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. You're going to like, and he goes, he's just like, no. <laughs> right. And the guy walks off and he's like staring you back see him at him. I thought back, that was You hilarious. see him in the background, yeah. like out of focus. And he's still like staring back at the Asian he's guy. Like, he's like so racist that right. like. That like, yeah, he's, he is, he's more anti-Japanese than he is anti Exactly. Jewish, I guess. Yeah. Or anti-Semitic. Yeah, I, I thought the way that they put that together was hilarious. What was yeah. that line where Clive is in Larry's office? <laughs> Near Samaisa? <laughs> no. Oh, secret test. Hush, hush. <laughs> no. There was something oh. else I was dying laughing at. Um, pa- what about passing grade? Or, yeah. Oh, go? What about a passing grade? Or, shoot. They have such a good... They have two dialogues in the office. Yeah. There's one where he says... He brings out the envelope and he's like, he's like, this is a thing. And Clive goes, yes, that is a thing. Right. And he's yeah. just like, he won't acknowledge that. And this is here, isn't it? Yes, that is there. That is there. Yeah. Or wasn't it the secret test line that had you laughing really hard? The secret test. When he's like, he's like, uh, I'll take a secret test. We'll keep it hush hush. No, no, I think it was like, um, he was saying. Like this is okay to do or something. He's like, or I don't know. There, no, there was something. I have to. Listen. I don't it's, know. Oh, I, I, it. It, I wish we had the quotes. Like yeah. I really like every Clive line is pretty gold. Clive's good. Yeah, that's his it. audacity. And I will say it's like in the way that uh, Barton Fink is like quippy and like written. Yeah. Um, a serious man, and maybe this is just them evolving as writers. And knowing how to deal with actors and casting properly, um, yeah. eh, maybe not, maybe not that because the casting is great in all the movies. But um, in a serious man, it doesn't feel written or too like on top of itself. The conversations mm-hmm. feel very natural, yes. even though they're quippy. Yes, they feel even very natural. And Clive is a testament to that. Yeah. I, I totally so I don't know agree. what he said, but that's I'm glad you brought up that point because 
Yeah. That converse, the two conversations that they have in Larry's so office funny. are like really, really yeah. good and hilarious. Yeah. And hilarious. And that's one of the fun those are some of the funniest scenes in that movie too. Yeah. Rock solid. Um one other thing is uh his brother, Arthur out in a minute. Right, yeah, Arthur is There's just, so many we could just keep going. We could go forever with how funny the tenor all of the movies are. The ten- yeah, tenure. Tenure, yes. The Sad guy coming. Yeah, uh, was it Aldrich? Mm-hmm. Is that the guy, the character's name? How he's Arlen like, or Arlen. Arlen? Yeah, he's yeah. so concerned about like Larry's uh, feelings, but he's willing to also tell him about the like defamatory letters. And he's like, "Yeah, I just felt I should tell you about it. Uh, it's nothing to worry about." But no, oh, yeah. But then uh, he'll this, like he'll go will, on in a this way. This won't that work against you in the eyes of the committee. Right, right. But I uh, just wanted to let you know there's some really uh, somebody really hates defamatory you. remarks coming against your character. Yes, and the way he, and Larry's just like this. How this isn't working against me? How you're right. on the committee? Right, and you're telling me this. Obviously, right. you're telling other. You're having this discussion. Right, and even the guys like his body language when he walks away. He like sulks away. It's just like ele- every element is so carefully. Mm-hmm cared for but it's not like in a Wes Anderson way where it feels totally which I love Wes Anderson but like it doesn't feel as like like really a stage piece constructed yeah. exactly yeah. and I think part of that is just like set decoration and stuff like that but like the actors the dialogue the way it fits with each other is yeah. so on point and the character detail is so on point alright I think we yeah. just that sums up a lot of Coen Brothers movies yeah. and I think that's a good way to wrap yeah. this one up because we hit on three of this is a podcast about our favorite favorite movies mm-hmm. And uh, I hadn't seen Barton Fink. You hadn't seen Lewis Davis. We <laughs> yeah. did this on purpose so we could challenge each other. We're doing this on purpose to challenge each other to watch movies yeah. we haven't seen, but we also want to talk about our favorite movies. Totally. Yeah. And this was perfect because, I mean, I don't. The Coens are an American treasure, and I think World top treasure, maybe but... three movies for me. I don't know how to rank movies, but uh, I really think that uh, No Country for Old Men is like just. The top class, top tier. Yeah, nothing is better than it. Yeah, it's definitely um, yeah, it's the standard. And there's so many Cohen movies. Well, I mean, I haven't seen them all, so I'm not as well versed as Matt. But uh, I mean, you know your shit though. We we enjoyed watching these movies and hope that everybody watching a podcast like this watches these types of movies because they're they're great. Yeah, they're so important. They are. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's all I have for a wrap up. Yeah, I don't have anything. I think they'll be remembered for forever. Hopefully by people like us, if not the larger society. Like, these movies deserve their works of art that are as yeah. important as any other work of art, yeah. in my opinion. So, Yeah, I don't know if any of them are in the, what's it called, the national, uh, what, do, what do they do when they, uh, Brokeback Mountain is in the Museum nas- of Modern Art? No, no, there's a, there's like a national kind of uh, artist registry mm. or something yeah. there. I don't know. I, I, know, I know what you're talking about. We'll cut this out because I, I don't know what I'm talking about. But <laughs> yeah, I do think so. that these are very important movies if you're into film. So yeah, yeah, I agree. Cool. That feels good to me. All right. So we don't have a name for this yet, but once we do, please like, subscribe, and leave a comment. Yeah. Do all the YouTube stuff, or if you're listening to this, do whatever you got to do on that pl- platform to. Listen to the next one. Yeah, I heard we had to say that. So, love you. Thanks.